It was a particularly ugly session. After months of exorcism sessions, I now had the demon leader's name. I moved in close to the possessed, about two feet away, and stared the demons in the eye. The demons were fully manifested. Using the leader's name, I commanded them, in the name of Jesus, to leave. They didn't budge. These demons were not yet weak enough to be cast out and had plenty of fight left in them. In a gravelly voice, they mocked and taunted me. I could hear and feel the evil. They were disgusting and full of filth. I tried not to listen. I try not to make this a personal fight. I hide behind Jesus and do everything in his name. It is he who is the exorcist. But it is a bit difficult being only 24 inches away from the demons who are in a full rage. The demons took all this very personally, as they always do, and focused their seething violence on me. Finally, it was time to end the session. The team members and the afflicted person were all tired. Together we said prayers of thanksgiving. At the beginning of the session, I had faithfully said prayers of protection. Now, at the closing, I said the full cleansing prayers. But when it all ended, I wasn't feeling quite right. I tried relaxing, eating dinner, and moving on. Nothing helped. I tried to ride it out, but after an hour or so, I wasn't any better. In fact, I felt somewhat disabled. I was eventually able to identify the feeling. I felt as if I had been stabbed by a poisoned blade. I was spiritually wounded. The poison was there and it would not go away. It was infecting my entire system. Apparently, for some reason, the demons were able to break through the usual protection and stab me with their poison. Perhaps I had gotten too close. Regardless, I was wounded with an otherworldly poison. Welcome to Noctivigant, the show about the strange, the paranormal, the otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Jay, and I am joined today by the excommunicated duo, Nick and Rory. Thank God. I don't know if that was ever made official. (laughs) (laughs) On this show, we're going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivigant. we're back we are in the basement we are indeed in the basement someday i hope we will not be in the basement and then that intro someone will say it and we'll all mock them relentlessly well i mean eventually we'll hopefully ideally be in a studio in which case we'll say and we're back in the studio unless that studio's in a basement in which case it'll be a double a double thing stasement studio basement what the hell are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> I it's been it's been such a long week already and I've only actually worked 2 days. But my 
work keeps screwing up my timeline on this project, and I'm just, I, I don't know, I'm just fried, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had something similar, except it's uh, reality is screwing up my timeline, as in I thought today was Tuesday. Huh. Yeah. Nah, no, it's Wednesday. When I w- had about an hour left in work, I looked up, looked at the calendar, went, oh, holy shit, I'm recording, I'm, we're recording an episode tonight. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, I'm here for it. So what book are we reading today, uh, Jay? <laughs> Our book this week is Diary of an American Exorcist by Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti. And it is a series of allegedly unedited diary entries from Rossetti's ministry mixed with theological reflections that comment on or expand upon the main point of the corresponding diary entry. Is Pretty- it Steven- Stephen or Stephen? I have no idea. I think it's Stephen. Stephen. Well, I mean, I mean, it's spelled Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, but I've seen people call themselves Stephen and spell it like that. That's how Stephen Strange spells it. And uh, King. N- yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. 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 Um, There's no V in Stevie King. Yeah. Stevie King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just call him Rosetti, so uh, this is probably the only time his uh, first name will ever come up at any point in this episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Rosetti. So this was a fun, uh, I mean, fun book is relative. <laughs> I would not classify this as a fun book. I, w- I will classify this as an infuriating book. Yeah, no, it, it was deeply, here's the thing, is that it was yeah, deeply infuriating to read, but talking about it with you guys at the end of the day, that was fun because I got to see the rage seething behind your eyes. I was very upset about one thing in particular that we will be talking about. Uh, there's, there's a lot that, uh, upset me throughout this book. Yeah. I mean, and not, and <laughs> the sad thing is, is that, yes, there's a lot of upsetting material in this book. A lot of people who are tormented saying terrible things, but those are not the parts of the book that upset me. Nope. No, uh, that, that was, that was, that was just the theme of the book, but it was mostly every time I got to, a. What did he call them? Theological. Uh, theological reflections. Yeah, the theo- almost every time we got to a theological reflection, I just had to like grip my car because I was reading in my car most of the time. Just had to grip because I knew I was going to get mad. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I could definitely say within the first ten pages, yeah, I very quickly came to the realization that we were not at all the target audience for this book. Oh, God, no. Uh, this is very much written for someone who already exists within within the kind of Catholic worldview and has fully adopted it. I, I don't think uh, if you're outside of that, you'd get much out of this book necessarily. Outside of, it's an interesting, I guess, window into that, uh, I guess, framework of thinking. Um. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, we, we very seldom... You know, we, we tend to embrace this uh, very pantheistic worldview where everything is possible. You, could, you know, we try to keep the doors open as possible. This is a window into uh, someone whose life is very much split down to, it, you know, it is, if it's not A or B, it's C, where there's only really three options. It's either of God, of man, or of the devil. And those are li- that's it. So anything else that's out there, any other phenomenon, any other deity, which I'm sure we're going to get to, uh, has to be from one of those sources and most often he comes to the conclusion that it's of the devil. Yeah, for for real though, like he was very um binary. Yes. In in his uh in his interpretation of the world, which I find hilarious because it just shows 
that his knowledge of the Bible, while vast, is rooted in biblical studies, not anything beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, my favorite counterpoint to somebody who says things like, um, you know, if it's not of God, it's of the devil. And I go, but God acknowledges other gods. Yep. And then they look at me and they go, what? I go, the first commandment. God acknowledges other gods. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. That implies that there are other gods. Well, he, yeah, and he kept calling Mary the queen of heaven. I'm mm-hmm. like, do you mean Asherah? Exactly. Like, yeah, like that is, and and here's the thing is, Rossetti probably would have no idea what that word meant. I, I mean, I could see an, I could see him maybe having encountered it, but him just thinking that it's not important. Yeah, in the sense, I mean, I, I can, well, it's because that's that's Jewish stuff. Yeah, well, and it kind of comes down to I think what we're seeing here is a view of the. I mean, we're looking back at a religion that is based very fundamentally in a binary view of the world, uh, and that idea of dualism is something that, as we've gone into more esoteric topics, I, I think we've all become pretty accustomed to uh, dualism getting hurled out the window. So I think it was particularly jarring for us to yeah. uh, have to kind of. I guess readapt to uh, a dualistic my, uh, view of reality, which does not agree with me. Like I said, this book is not for me. I'm sure that there might be some people out there who will get a lot of comfort from this book, and but it, it, it's not me. I it made me it pissed me off. I, I highly doubt any of our listeners will uh, get much out of this book. Yeah, I just gotta leave leave room. You never know. Yeah, and I'm not. I mean, like. I say that in the sense of I imagine that most of our listeners are very entrenched in some way, even mildly entrenched, inside the um, uh, interests of the wider occult. Uh, This is not interested in the wider occult. Especially because I think in Rossetti's opinion, uh, the simple fact of listening to our show opens the doorway for demonic possession in all of our listeners. Oh, yes. Oh, 100 percent. Because thinking about anything that is a cult is uh, a problem. If you dabble in witchcraft, you are dabbling with the devil. If you have a crystal, you're dabbling with the devil. If you, we talk about the crystals. <laughs> if you study the occult at all, you are dealing with the devil. If you pray, uh, which is funny too, because Catholicism in its nature is the occult. Yeah. Uh if you are worship any Abraham, any non-Abrahamic faith, you are trucking with the devil. Yeah. If you happen to be Asian and go to a shaman that is part of your indigenous religion from your homeland, well, you're selling your soul to the devil, buddy, and it doesn't matter that you've never heard of this devil person, aren't sold on the concept of a soul. Uh, that's what happened. And why are you beating me? Why are you beating me with your fists and heavy objects? I, I'm sure we're going to get to this, but that was another thing I kept coming back to, is this whole thing of, well, all other gods are de- are demons. It's like, well, what about the, the ones that were worshipped before the Bible existed? Demons! What about the ones that were there before the church existed? What demons! About, what about all the other ones that, you know, the Jewish people happen to have worshipped? Demons! Okay, but... But if... Okay, never mind. We're going to get into this. I don't want to start the tie right now. Can we start? Yes. Okay, yes, let's we can. start. All right. So, just to get listeners acclimated to what's going to be going on here, due to the unique way that Monsignor Rossetti crafted this book, we can't really start at the beginning and go through to the end. Instead, we'll be pulling from five key points or themes across the book. Um, I'll be summarizing two to four relevant entries on said topic, and then we'll go into the appropriate discussion question. Don't blame me. 
blame Rossetti and the Catholic Church. <laughs> yes, blame the Catholic Church specifically. They are the ones who made the decision about the formatting. <laughs> Send angry letters to the Vatican about, like, Jay's summary was all over the goddamn place. <laughs> and uh, then it just jump cuts to Pope Francis in his office being like, I know, I wondered what was going on. The Pope just shows up at our front door and beats you with a flip-flop. Why are you doing this to me? I'm not one of yours. First things first, the definition of some important terms. Monsignor Rossetti is an exorcist. He is an ordained priest, a.k.a. trained, certified, and recognized by the Catholic Church, who is specially trained to banish demonic influences from the homes and bodies of others. Within a Christian context, and a Catholic context more specifically, a demon is an angel who fell alongside Lucifer and is now trapped in hell. As an exorcist, Rossetti deals with problems beyond possession. He also deals with demonic oppression, demonic obsession, and demonic infestation. Within this theological framework, possession is when a demon enters a human's body or mind, anchoring there in order to corrupt their soul and steer them towards damnation. Demonic oppression, on the other hand, involves a demon hanging around near a person and exerting external influence on their behavior and state of mind. Obsession is a supernatural compulsion inflicted on the target. This could be addictive tendencies, unnatural preoccupations, or unexplainable destructive urges. And finally, infestation is when demons crowd into a domicile or object in order to harass the occupants. This harassment often comes in the form of demonic manifestations. These are the things you're thinking of from movies, things that Rossetti has apparently witnessed many, many times in person. These manifestations could be the possessed person's face changing, taking on a look of evil, for example, their body levitating, a voice that's not theirs coming from their mouth and saying vile things, objects flying around on their own and breaking, or apports, Alma Fielding style. These displays of power often start well before the exorcism, but are most prominent during the actual process. An exorcism within this context is a long, drawn-out process involving the recitation of sacred rites, usually prayers recited in Latin, the use of sacred objects such as crosses, holy waters, and saint relics, and priestly commands, directing the demonic presence to leave. Typically, more than one priest is involved, assisted by members of the laity who offer additional prayers, faith, and support. Rossetti calls them prayer warriors, which, okay, Rossetti. Mm. Some priests or prayer warriors are gifted, a.k.a. psychic. They may see the demons as full apparitions, hear the guiding voices of heavenly figures, have a sixth sense for evil, or act as a general demon, or act as a general anti-demon beacon. And when I say the process is drawn out, I mean drawn out. According to Rossetti, heavy possessions may take years to fully alleviate, and the problem is never solved in just one session. Finally, before I spend the next several pages being rather unimpressed, I must stress something that is to Rossetti and the church's credit. There is a vetting process in place. Exorcism requests are not automatically granted. Rossetti himself is trained as a psychologist and all potential clients are interviewed for possible mental health issues before undergoing exorcism. That due diligence out of the way, let's tackle the first beast in this odd little box. Christian supremacist rhetoric! I'm kidding. Mostly, really, what we're going to be talking about is some of the extremely worrying statements that Rossetti feels comfortable making in the pages of this book. 
first and foremost, Rossetti, like many priests, is obviously heavily biased towards his own church. Much less acceptably, Rossetti believes that the Catholic Church is the only true spiritual path. All other religions, spiritualities, and magic systems are false at best and satanic at worst. They certainly aren't paid any sort of respect in these pages. Cultural appropriation and judgment abound. Some examples of this are tame. Rossetti, at several points, calls Mother Mary the Queen of Heaven, believed to be an ancient temple Judaic term for Asherah, God's feminine counterpart. Some are funny. In entry 86, Halloween will be ugly. (laughs) Rossetti insists that October 31st is a terrifying night of demonic activity and wicked witchcraft, a night he spends in deep prayer, eagerly awaiting the dawn of All Saints Day. And some make me want to transform into a Bengal tiger and start mauling motherfuckers. <laughs> In entry 52, titled with some Latin shit I didn't want to type out, he smugly tells us of an entire obelisk that the Vatican stole from Egypt. It was originally built in 1835 BCE by Pharaoh Menkares to honor the sun. And then these jackasses were like, put it in the front yard. Stick a piece of the true cross on it. I I remember when you read that chapter because as soon as you got back home from work, you were sputtering and you had like before you could even take your regular nap, you had to yell about it for about five minutes and then you could storm off to sleep. Because I have to admit something. Part of it was I was mad at myself because I knew that that obelisk was there at St. Peter's Basilica, but my hopeful believe in the best believe the best in people ass was like, they just built that, right? That's just your theirs. They built it. No, 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 no. Rossetti calls this beautiful cultural symbol a pagan monument and celebrates its cleansing. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to some other examples of Christian xenophobia before I decide to cleanse something. In entry number 40, for example, Rossetti tells us that many people make deals with Satan completely unwittingly by engaging with non-Catholic practices, of course. Quote, asking a witch or a shaman to grant you a favor is tantamount to making a deal with Satan. Entry 41, immediately following it, is titled No Good Witches and is devoted to trashing modern magical and neo-pagan traditions. In it, Rossetti claims that a young man in his 30s came in looking for an exorcism. The young man was allegedly the head of a witch coven and feared he was becoming possessed. However, said young man refused to give up his magical practices, believing that they gave him power. Eventually, he stopped coming in, and Rossetti's team doesn't know what became of him. I'm personally guessing he had a long talk with our father below and realized that hell has better rent security and a solid public transpo system, so he decided to just roll the dice or he decided that you know using magic was actually a more uh uh, uh life fulfilling uh, uh, uh practice than dealing with this guy i mean i'd pick the devil over rosetti i wouldn't go that far i'd have to talk to the guy first i'd have to meet with the devil have coffee get get a read on him i gotta do a vibe check if you go to have coffee with the devil and it's literally just like Tom Ellis, if he's just like, no, 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 I'm the devil. That's why they gave me that CW show. Like, Oh, that's the, the guy who yeah. plays him on the Lucifer show. Yes. Okay, I, you said that name like I should know who that is, even though I literally was just watching that show with my wife. And uh, no, I don't know actors' names. He's the first name in the credits, dude. You're, you're expecting me to read words? 
I'm reading words. I read words. Right now. I read words all day. When it comes time to TV, I am done reading words. You read words not only for a living, but you also write words for people to read. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, yes, that's my point. Read. From the moment I sit down at my desk to the end of my day, my life is words. So when it comes time to relax, I don't want to see a word. Just admit that you don't care about the actor's name. You don't have to do the reading tirade. I want to do the reading tirade. Okay. (laughs) Rossetti is highly troubled by what he sees as the normalization of magic. And I scoff at that, but we were just talking about a CW show that's starring the devil. So I don't know. Sometimes I see what the guy's talking about. I mean, fair, I did think about that as well. (laughs) This isn't one of those times, though. Rossetti claims that an excessive amount of popular media is encouraging people and children to pursue witchcraft and spellcasting, an act he views as inherently evil. Quote, a witch or warlock's power comes through Satan, though some practitioners might claim to be channeling some sort of good energy and think of themselves as good witches. Any power they have comes from the evil one. The power to cast spells and curses does not come from God. He cites both Deuteronomy 18.10 and the First Commandment for some reason, asserting that witchcraft violates both. According to him, no Christian should ever seek any good from hands that aren't God's. Good as in blessing, boon, or aid at all, apparently. He cites Deuteronomy 18.10 twice. Mm -hmm. Back to back. And it's not just referencing it. It's the entire text. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, well, I, that, that, you know, here's the thing from a, a book craft perspective, that is my biggest complaint about this book is it felt like so much of this was padding because there were so many entries, which were near, damn near identical to other ones. Yeah. I feel like you could have gotten this book done in maybe a, a, a healthy 10 page pamphlet. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Why do you think I'm having so much trouble with this freaking summary? <laughs> Listeners. Listeners, this summary is seven pages long. They, for, think, for perspective, a normal one is 12 to 15. I think my summary for Satanic Panic was 22. I think it was 18. 18. That sounds more reasonable. No, no, you're right. No, I think it was over 20 because mine for uh, Alien World Order was 19. Yeah. Yeah. And being an out-and-out witch isn't the only occult tie that gets you sent straight to the Lake of Fire. Nope, the good Monsignor seems pretty adamant that your onyx bracelet and your lucky rabbit's foot are more than enough. For example, someone in his parish had been gifted some crystals to help out with her health. When her symptoms declined instead of improving, Rossetti blamed the shiny rocks, blessed them, and threw them out. Closing the entry, he proclaims, quote, If it doesn't directly involve God then the only other option is Satan's power, and that is not good, regardless of one's intentions. Hey. Hey, listeners. You know how mad I get when people say that gods of foreign cultures are aliens because I find it deeply insulting? You know how mad I get when anybody tries to say any god that isn't theirs is something else because they'd rather eat their own toes than face a world of nuance? Well, there's a reason we will not be contacting the Monsignor for an interview. In Entry 53, The Young Man with the Demon Tattoo. Ah! (laughs) The Monsignor laments the modern trend of espousing pagan deities. Like the crystals and witchcraft listed above, he blames these pagan creatures for much of the world's evil. In the corresponding theological reflection titled Decommissioning Tattoos, 
he proceeds to claim that many non-Christian gods are actually high-ranking demons. In particular, he name-drops Baal several times throughout this book. In addition to blaming Baal for all the premarital fucking going on, Rossetti says he's personally exercised the demon from several possessed clients. And that brings us, not so gracefully, to discussion question number one. Boo. I'm sorry. (laughs) Here on Noctivigant, we frequently return to the idea of belief creates reality or of willing things into existence. Taking that thought and combining it with Rossetti's statements here, how do we think that that collective belief in pagan gods or demons has influenced the metaphysical world? Have we created a legion of demons with godly names or simply given trickster creatures new masks? Um... So, by the theology that is presented by Monsignor Rossetti, uh, it's none of these. Because by his, uh, his theology, then these gods are just demons. They've, now, they've always been, right? Right. They've, they've always been demons. Um, or, 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 or if they're positive... Then it's that then it's an angel or God himself. That being said, if I was to assume I'll put my tinfoil cap on, there's a throwback to like the first five episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um and try to imagine that his frame framework is is right in some form. I don't believe it is, but believing in that there is one God. And that he is all that is good, and that the demons and are are fallen angels, yada yada yada. Then I would say, every time societies get together and they develop these new gods, they're essentially creating an egregore that will likely become, in his theology, a demon of some sort, because nothing. It can't be God because we can't create anything on God's level, right? I mean, I would. I, I, he doesn't say anything like that directly, but I can. I can infer. Yeah. Uh, that he would say he would not acknowledge that we could create any kind of entity that is of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think there would even be the argument that we couldn't make a demon because they're fallen angels in his cosmology right so i'm just saying like if that was to happen yeah though i don't believe that he he would what i think he would say is that it wasn't us creating anything but rather a demon possessing or in or uh working within us to create something that is in and of itself demonic it's not a demon it's not an angel it's not a real thing it is just a doorway? Uh, a doorway. It's just a uh, uh, temptation. It's just uh, something. It's, n- it's, n- it's essentially nothing more than just a, a, a fake bullshit. N- I, I don't even know the right word for it. That being said, um, how do I believe that the pagan, uh, the collective belief in pagan gods our demons has influenced the metaphysical world. Well, I think that I think that's a really interesting question, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, because I think that this idea it, it runs rampant 
that like the idea that pagan gods are demons runs rampant inside inside Christianity because I mean even my dad for example uh I told him a couple weeks ago or maybe it's like a month ago or something that I was talking to him about uh my druid my druidry studies and he was very adamant about how he he didn't want me to practice any of that stuff but studying it academically was was fine you know but practicing it that is of the, that is of the devil and it's like well first off um no because what i've learned through druidry is nothing but beneficial to me and mostly just meditation practices and the same kind of shit that i've learned in therapy you know it it's not it's not bad it's just it's just meditation and and what is prayer but meditation like it, it, 100% they are the same thing yeah, I mean, well, it's meditation mixed with theurgy, which is a whole branch of magic dedicated towards communing with discarnate intelligences. Right. So I don't think that we've created a legion of demons with with godly with with any kind of godly names. Uh, uh, it, I just, I, truth be told, I just think the Monsignor's wrong. <laughs> like, like I, it's really hard for me to even put the tinfoil cap on to believe this because it's just. It's so bigoted. It's so... Yeah. It's so... It's not as bad as Len Caston. I'll give him that. Yeah. I mean, I I will say this. Unlike Len Caston, I did get the sense that uh, while his worldview does not align with mine in any appreciable way, uh, at least on a a theological perspective, uh, I didn't get the sense that Mr. Rossetti or Monsignor Rossetti was a a bad person. I feel like he he believes he's doing good and he's trying to do good. He is just operating within the framework that he believes to be absolute reality. The only issue that I have with granting him that because yeah, you're probably right. He probably is he probably does a lot for his local community to help because that's what a lot of priests do. He probably does a lot of good work, but here's the thing. Even in his uh he has a a chapter in here where he talks about how he believes the nation of America, he believes that one America is going to be a part of the grander um uh world like God's plan. Yeah, God's plan. Thank you. But he also believes that we are being uh, not fully possessed yet as a country, but we are being oppressed by by demons and that, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I cannot get behind saying, like, I, I, I can't get behind this because what he wants is for the United States to become... A Christian nation. Oh, absolutely. And I, I can't say, like, yeah, you know, maybe he does good things, but his ultimate goal is to essentially turn us all into straight, white, cis, loving, nobody but each other and God. Yeah. Like, and no, I can't support that. No, no, I, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying I do. I'm not saying we should. What I, what I'm saying is that I don't think he's going to go out and, like, eat babies. But if someone told me Len Caston was, I'd buy it. Yeah, no, I don't think he's going to go out and eat babies, but I do think he's the kind of person that would stand at the picket lines outside of an abortion clinic telling you you're going to hell. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially because he hits on that numerous times in the book. Uh, In fact, that was one of the broken record points. He kept 
circling back to is abortion is one of the greatest gateways to demonic activity. And that man couldn't be more wrong. Like... Some medical procedure. And on top of that, it just shows throughout this book, he shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the systemic issues that happen within this country and, the, and this world and the, and the issues that have been caused by his church. Well, and also the whole, his whole message of we should, you know, I mean, he does have a message in this book of uh, don't, don't ever resort to violence. We should love everyone regardless of color or creed and all that. But at the same time, he, he says those things, but then set, does then he has passages where he's effectively saying, hey, th yes, do that. But this portion of the population, their whole lifestyle needs to change because it's demonic it's, or they need to be uh, or they need to be removed from the equation. So there is a definite conflict between those two messages in my mind. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, well, especially because you can't for, he, he has a lot of respect for Abrahamic religions, like I was saying earlier. Uh, there's a point where he talks about encountering uh, people of Jewish faith or Muslim faith. And, well, he does have some kind of shitty comments about how, why are they coming to me if they have their own priests? Um, but but he doesn't seem to believe pa like pagan faiths or, or, or Wiccan faiths that any of those are actual religions. He doesn't give them that same respect. Yeah. No, he would he would he he would not like me. Nope. I, I don't think he'd like any of us personally. No. And, you know, funny, like, even if we did interview him, which I know we're, we're not, um, but even if we did, I think he would um, immediately, like, recoil at the sight of the cameras since I put it on where I put it on you guys. And if you guys saw the live stream, you guys would know what, you're, what he'd be seeing, which is, uh, like, two multiple statues to other gods, an entire shelf of skulls, creepy dolls in the background, <laughs> like... I mean, that fancy dragon that I have sitting in front of me is literally a Lucifer icon. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, but anyway, back to the question. Uh, sorry, were you done? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no. so back I, to the I, I don't think I could. I don't think I could. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that I could say that uh, that I haven't already touched on. And I hope I answered the question at least a little bit. I know I dodged aspects of it, but that's only because I don't know what to say. All right, so. Forcing the tinfoil cap on, I see a couple of possibilities here. I mean, one is, the, the easiest one is if we take the John Keel approach and say, well, all you've done is given a, uh, a costume to the ultra-terrestrials and that their belief that these gods are demons created costumes of those gods as demons, which the ultra-terrestrials then put on and possess someone in order to reaffirm their existing belief. Um, expanding out from that, I, I don't know, I did... I did have some thoughts about that. So we have, let's say that it's true, that gods become shaped by the beliefs we have in them. Well, that introduces some troubling concerns when it comes to this. Because, for example, uh, let's say I was worshiping the god Baal, who was a Canaanite god. Um, and then we have, in the modern day, people coming in and saying, he Baal's a demon, Baal's a demon, Baal's a demon. Well, then is it possible to kind of steal someone's god by changing its nature? In which case, that's very disturbing. Uh, what I think is probably, well, the, on that side, though, then I also got into the thought of, okay, but is there any conflict there? Is it really like, again, an arithmetic of belief where so many people believe balls of demons, so many people believe not, and which side wins out? And on that end, then, because, you know, I was laying awake at night at 3 a.m., I started thinking about linear time. 
So there's a lot of conjecture in many of the books we've read, as well as some of our advanced science, that, conje- that suggests that time isn't linear. Everything that's ever happened, that ever will happen, is happening at once right now. It's a big ball of timey-wimey stuff. You, you forgot the rest of the quote, didn't you? Yes, I did. Okay, so my, my thought then is, what if uh, it is uh, it is all comes down to godly arithmetic, but the modern belief has to go against every Canaanite who's ever lived because they're currently believing in Baal right now, even if they died 20,000 years ago. Um, which, you know, I don't know. That'd be interesting. I'd be fascinated to find out that that's true. Uh, looking at other ideas... I think probably the one that I would have to lean most strongly towards is the idea that uh, this conception of is it our you know can we turn a god into a demon is way too binary. Uh, it implies I think a level of concreteness about these entities that I don't believe exists. Uh, so I see them as fractal. So let's say let's say that Ball was a god to a, is a god god to a certain group of people in the past. That ball that they worshipped, whatever that energy is, that discarnate presence, remains unchanged. Uh, f- because ultimately, it's a vision of the divine when viewed through the cultural context of the people who worshipped it. Uh, when Christianity came along and created its own mythology for ball, framing it and other pagan gods as demons, I think what's more likely there is that they effectively created a new ball that they were interacting with. Again, uh, go back to Jack's book. The idea that the divine interfaces with us at the level we're prepared for, what we expect. They expect these other gods to be demons, and so the divine source, whatever it is, uh, took a bit of its energy, and that energy became demon ball. So that, yes, these it doesn't, in my mind, it's not a conflict to say that both entities exist and can be a god to one person and a demon to another, because it comes down to, uh, like what Jay says, input-output. The universe just giving back what you're already putting into it. I mean, that makes sense. So, I mean, that that was as close as I could get to, because I mean, obviously reading this book, just like every other book we've read, I tried to, while I was reading it, believe it in the sense of, I mean, not necessarily his theology, but that these events happened, that he he's in, had these encounters and the demons said what they said. And a lot of what the demons said seemed to verify his worldview. Um, well, in my mind, this would be the explanation for that, because of course they're going to, because ultimately he is interacting with a piece of the universe that is filling the role he's given it. I mean, ultimately, that's really, that's kind of, in a way, I mean, I guess, no, it is exactly what John Keel talks about. You know, yeah. it's going to interact with us the way that we, inter- that, that we interact with it. And that makes sense. And for the record, I don't doubt that these things happen. Oh, sure. I don't doubt that there is things that... Uh, you know, because we don't have a better term that I would end up calling a demon, that there is possession. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. I don't think anyone can, I don't think we can really safely say what it is, uh, outside of, you know, it, it, it could be some sort of, maybe it's like a poltergeist. It's a piece of the self yeah, that's, that's been repressed. That is exact. That's literally, I wrote that down in my notes as something that I wanted to bring up because so much of a lot of the demonic possessions that he talked about in here made me think of poltergeist activity. And I could absolutely see somebody who has like pent up psychic energy um, and it just kind of coming to this boiling point and it showing or representing itself or, or coming out as something that you would see as demonic. 
especially if that person believes that it is demonic or they believe themselves evil somehow. Right. Uh, and I th- I think that's I think that's possible. I could also see the argument being made that there are negatively bent discarnate intelligences that sometimes fuck with us. And I could also see the argument again going to Keel that they're tricksters. They mm-hmm. you know I I I think the difference between what I was suggesting and Keel is I wasn't necessarily thinking about it from the malevolent trickster perspective, more the expectation equals reality uh, perspective in that they, 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 they're doing the evil they're doing because that's what's expected of them, not because in Kiel's world, because it's fun. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although that said, the, some of those demons seem to be having a great time right up until they were tortured in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Yeah, some of them were just being like, I'm just making this chick vomit snakes. What is the big deal? <laughs> you bring up another you brought up something else, and I don't know if I have another chance to say it, but I, I just want to point out that snakes are good. God damn it. And in this book, he talks about how like snakes are a representation of the devil. And I, and you know what? Fuck that. Snakes are good. Well, I mean, that that kind of goes to uh uh, one of my one one issue that I've always had, and I've never had the question answered uh, to my satisfaction, which is okay. So, for example, it comes up in this book: uh, marijuana is a gateway to to demonic. Yeah. Now, again, I come back to marijuana is a plant. Snakes are animals. In theory, they were created by God. So Correct. why are they symbols of evil? Why would they be a gateway to the demonic? Because society has deemed them bad. Okay. <laughs> but God, but, but, and, and that, no, that's exactly, that's exactly it though, because that's the only explanation you, that like the snake, you can make the argument because of the Bible, because the Satan tempted Eve, but that's not what that was, but that's okay. We'll push that to the side. Um, but like the, 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 the drug stuff, like anything like that, especially about marijuana that only can come from societal influences because there is no mention of those kind of drugs anywhere in the Bible. Uh, the the only argument you could you could make that I can think of off the top of my head is that your the the phrase where uh, the passage where it says that your body is a temple and the idea uh, I put idea in quotations that smoking marijuana is harmful to your body. M- motherfucker, they light incense in temples all the time. Yeah, I am sanctifying this motherfucker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I we literally we literally infuse uh our weed with positive energy and good vibes and cleansing vibes because you know we're weirdos and that's what we do. It's, <laughs> it's one of the sacred plants of Apollo. But, I don't well, like and to also that, I, I, but it is. So Jay, you might be able to talk uh with more certainty about this. Isn't there something where uh some biblical scholars believe that the mana uh, was a drug? That I did some more digging. Um, apparently, that's something that fringe weirdos uh, seem to believe. Most likely, it was a. I mean, we are fringe weirdos. Yes, so. but what I'm saying is that there's not a lot of solid academic evidence for that, and that's just kind of that seems to be a thing that people say when they like want to cause problems at a Bible conference. Oh, um, yeah, it, 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 it's 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 academic bible conferences are insane like uh one of my professors at cmu was like she just this very tiny sweet woman was just like oh yeah i've seen fist fights in parking lots <laughs> and it's just like what oh, oh. and she's like people get very heated um yeah you know what's so funny about that is so we went to michigan paracon uh recently which uh, in this uh 
in the worldview of Monsignor Rossetti would be the den of ultimate evil. Mm -hmm. There would be, you know, there were so many witches there. There were so many pagans. There's so much. There were uh, so many rocks. No, mediums and <laughs> crystals and, and ghosts and Ouija boards and all this concentrated evil. Genuinely, some of the nicest, oh, most God, accepting, yeah. most chill people I've ever met. Now to hear that at the Christian Bible yeah. Conference, they're throwing down in the fucking parking lot. Um, yeah, yeah, my favorite story is actually one time they were talking about Satan. This is my favorite. This is my favorite story. There was a there was a Bible scholar conference where the discussion topic at one lecture was how did the devil move around as the serp? How did the, how did the serpent? How did the serpent move around before he tempted Eve in the garden? Because that was his curse. You shall crawl upon your belly and eat the dust of the earth. So all these Bible scholars are proposing different forms of locomotion for the serpent. And one guy was like, perhaps it coiled its tail like a spring and leapt from place to place. <laughs> upon which another scholar flipped the table he was sitting at and screamed, Satan is not a fucking poco stick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I like the image of pogo stick Satan. I support it. You I know, support pogo <laughs> you know, pogo stick Satan for president. <laughs> just this coiled snake. Pogo stick just, Satan for pope. Also <laughs> pogo pope. <laughs> Also, fucking imagine it. It makes Eve's decision in the garden make even less sense. It's like you're listening to that motherfucker. He's jumping around like Tigger. What are you yeah, doing? It, it, I was just thinking. It's like Tigger offered you meth. That's <laughs> what it is. And she uh, just did not want to be married to Adam anymore. I guess so. Jesus Christ. Um. <laughs> but uh. Uh, so speaking of taking holy names in vain for your own purposes, uh, my answer to this question, um. I think the demons are lying. I mean, that's a great fucking answer. Or, yeah. or I think they're either just straight up lying and they're going like, yeah, I'm Osiris. What? Are you a cop? You want my ID? Fuck off. Like, um, either that or, you, you know, angelic names tend to end in, you know, that EL, which signifies of God or godlike. What if a bunch of demons, when they fucked off and moved into hell with Lucifer, were like, of course I'm changing my fucking name. I'm not calling myself what that asshole who enslaved me in the clouds called me. Like, and honestly, you know, Christian theology appropriates everything else. I wouldn't put it past their fallen angels to be like, yeah, there, there's no greater implications for me just taking this name from another supernatural realm and just slapping it over my bullshit and acting like I'm him. Of course, there's not a problem with that. Like, I, I but, but, you know, and I think, honestly, I mean, most Occam's razoring it, I think that uh, that is something like that is exactly what happened in that, uh, you know, Christians are, Christianity is spreading. We're encountering these other faiths. Well, the easiest way for me to uh, make it so that other faith is invalid is to say, well, your God's a demon, and then we create a demonic mythology for your God, and now they're a demon. Congratulations, you're going to hell. Mm. It mm. really it struck to me as, a, as an artifact of colonialism. No. It, it, of it, religious colonialism. It, is there a word for that? Uh, colonialism. Oh, okay. <laughs> the the, at the vast least... majority of colonialism was done in the name of religion. Yep. Yep. Including the United States. Yep. Uh, manifest destiny is uh, is is a religious term. Yep. 
Um, the, there's this thing called the Doctrine of Discovery that was issued by the Vatican that was used as justification for most of the atrocities committed against um, indigenous people in this part of the world. Mm. Well, now I'm sad. Yep. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I, I stepping inside the myth and like trying to like like trying to understand how the demons might be operating with the very limited free will that they seem to have, which we will be talking about in the next section. I I do legitimately think there's a strong possibility that a bunch of them just changed their names and are going by something else that they that either they feel personally suits them better or that they know bothers the priests more to call them by. Yeah. Or maybe they were even stripped of their names when they fell. It's just like you're not part of this anymore. You don't get that fancy little EL at the end of your name. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, Lucifer doesn't go by uh, his uh, uh, or their uh, angelic name anymore. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if like, so Baal was a Canaanite god, and turns out there was some angel named Baliel who, when he fell, said, you know, I'm cutting off the L. I'm going to be Baal now. And then. First time they ran into each other at a wedding. It was awkward. Is it ball or ball? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've just been saying ball. I, I say it ball just because I feel like it's less confusing for people who are listening, not uh, reading. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there. I think the more accepted like academic pronunciation of it is ball, but that just doesn't look right to me. I'll fully admit that part of my hang up is it just doesn't look right with the way it's spelled. Yeah. Like in English, that's clearly supposed to be two syllables. So, um, but do we feel like we've beaten that question to death? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right, excellent. We now leave behind the idea of cultural cross contamination and move to a lighter, easier topic: the theological justifications for suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you see, according to Rossetti. Catholic theology dictates that God has absolute power over the universe. Demons, as fallen angels, have no free will. Any torment that they visit upon mankind is therefore allowed by God, which is just a whole fucking can of worms that uh, just gets skated right over. Um, For example, in diary entry number five, entitled, Why Do Demons Choke People? (sighs) Worst children's book I've ever read, quite frankly. (laughs) Rossetti speaks of demons as being allowed to choke people. The demons take advantage of this leeway to, in Rossetti's interpretation, establish dominance, punish defiant humans, and prevent the faithful from praying or calling out for help. He describes the behavior of demons as animalistic, a sign of their base nature and inherent cruelty. But, he stresses, demons are not allowed to kill people. God prevents them from doing this, apparently, and any demonic threats to a person's life should be treated as lies or impossibilities. A rather intriguing tidbit in this entry. While the laity cannot really perform full exorcisms and are often relegated to deliverance prayers, Rossetti does relay the story of a young man who commanded demons to leave his physical body. This, Rossetti tells us, worked because all humans have command and authority over their own bodies. Weird. Therefore, we have a divine commission to cast out our demons if we can. FYI, earlier in this book, as uh, Rory talked about at length, the same guy was like, if you medically terminate a pregnancy, you will become possessed and you will die. This book was fun. Moving on. 
In the corresponding theological reflection, Rossetti describes Satan as being on a short leash. While God would never tempt us towards sin or willfully cause us pain. What? I know. I know. I know. (laughs) He does give Satan a limited amount of authority to do so on his behalf, I guess. We know Satan's authority is limited, according to Rossetti, by the mere fact that the devil has not killed us all and destroyed the world in a bath of fire. Satan and his demons apparently cannot even seriously injure us. Rossetti seems to be asserting that the choking and scratches and vomiting up snakes are the worst of it. In Entry 25, Railing Satan, he describes the harassment that God has allowed the demonic to inflict on him and his fellow exorcists. While he's scant on details, which is a reoccurring pattern, he does mention being knocked down the stairs by an invisible force at 3 a.m. He now wards this off by making the sign of the cross before using the stairs at night. Despite his ongoing bravado in the face of the unholy, Rossetti seems convinced that the devil is more powerful than ever. In Entry 64, Satan Unleashed, he bemoans the lack of faith in the modern world. He claims that holy statues are being ripped down left and right. Where? That religious symbols are being mocked? Mm -mm. That God's laws have been rejected? And that the growing disdain for the Catholic Church is a sure sign of Lucifer's growing power? He is certain, of course, that Jesus will win the final battle, but fears how many souls will be lost before then. And uh, that is actually going to bring us straight into question number two. Let's go. Question two. Existing inside this myth for a few moments, let's examine this assertion. It's a question that's plagued faithful and faithless alike for centuries. How can God be all good yet permit the existence of evil? Rossetti clearly has his ideas, but I'm more interested in our own. So, what the hell, God? Um, okay, so, I, uh, my first answer to this was, fuck, man, I don't know. But, uh, because, I mean, the, the question of why evil exists, I think, is one that has plagued our species, uh, since we started having existential thought. Uh, but that said, I mean, okay, so, standing inside the myth... I mean, he does imply a couple times in this book that evil exists to test us, to say, uh, you know, to give us a chance to become better by denying it and defeating it. I, I have some serious problems with that. Uh, namely, because, okay, uh, let's, he also brings up in, in this book that some people can get possessed by no fault of their own, right? Because their parents were involved in occult stuff or because something evil happened in their vicinity or because of trauma. Um, and he also, sorry, and on top of that, he also brings up situations where people aren't even aware they're possessed until the exorcism starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they simply have, say, depression that doesn't go away with medication or therapy. Uh, they have strange compulsions, things like that. Well, my question is then, how are those tests of those people? How can you say, well, this innocent person who's done nothing, I need to test them uh, by tormenting them, that doesn't smack of a good and benevolent God to me. Uh, that smacks of, honestly, this whole idea of I did it to test you smacks of the kind of rhetoric I've heard from abusive fathers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of the issue is, I, and I think that's honestly part of what my, my core issue with the Catholic Church, not, not, don't get me wrong, uh, any of our listeners out there who are Christian, who are Catholic, 
obviously, believe what you want to believe. I fully support that, uh, you know, assuming, I mean, if you're listening to us, you're very likely not a jackass about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but that said, I, I can't see the good in sicking these horrible uh, netherworld demons on innocent people or on people who are never going to have a chance to fight back. Because what happens if someone gets possessed, say, doesn't know it, and they go through their life making the best decisions they think they can, but they're they're still doomed ultimately because that demon is going to lead them to make to committing some sins, and eventually they are going to get dragged down to hell. Like, how is that just? Well, and then the other issue I come into in the idea of an all good God is eternal punishment. Uh, because once you make the punishment eternal, growth is no longer possible. You are locking that person forever in the dark and you're saying you are uh, broken goods. And while I love you, I I going to let you be tormented uh, by demons who will rip you apart for all eternity is that I don't care how uh, how much you love me. If you're letting that happen, you're a monster, yep. especially if you had the ability to do something about it. And I guess this goes back to the whole idea of the responsibility of power. If you are. If if God is truly this omniscient, all powerful entity, and He allows these things to happen, well, <laughs> fuck Him, quite yeah. honestly. But that said, I mean, stepping kind of outside the myth, um, I I tend to think that evil happens partially because of us, uh, because it is the things that we bring into the world. Uh, very similarly, I think a lot of evil discarnate entities, it's very likely that, I mean, sure, maybe some exist that have nothing to do with us and sometimes they mess with us, but I could see the argument being made that we are sort of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, that mm. our belief in evil, our, the evil acts we do create stains, which sometimes, I guess, become these sentient creatures or uh, possess the psyche of somebody because of the wound that's on the universal unconscious or whatever you want to believe. Um, but I, I guess, so yeah, I guess that that's my only real possible answer because the idea of an all good God in the world he's presented fundamentally doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and again, I, I guess it, it's fun. It basically just goes back to, you can't punish someone eternally and say that you love them. Yeah. That's that, that is straight up the act of an abuser. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, so I don't, unpopular opinion, I don't think God is all good. Um, for a lot of the reasons that, that Nick just said, like you, and I, you know, I like the comparison to an abusive father because that's what it feels like. Uh, and if anything, it feels like uh, a neglectful father. It's not like a lot of times it doesn't feel like God is allowing for these things to happen. It's just God's not intervening to make it so it doesn't happen. You know, uh, because if there is, as Rossetti says, if there is millions and billions and trillions of demons and they're just allowed to run rampant uh, um, amongst the earth, and God allows them to do so, then he's allowing for all of this to happen. He is willing negligence to, 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 his, peop, to, to his people. Well, especially if you factor in people in other cultures who, who ignoring yeah. the fact that other cultures have exorcism rights that have 
their own established lore and success stories and all that. Imagine none of that existed. Even then, uh, you know, say someone in another country where there is no Catholic church, they get possessed. And now they're gonna and now they're gonna be tormented, die, and probably go to hell. And they didn't even have a fighting chance. And and how do you explain those like uh if if casting out demons is solely something that can be done via God, how do you explain the countless accounts of people who have cast out demons without using God? Or uh, Taoist exorcisms, Jewish exorcisms. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, they're not using the same God, but there are, are active and successful exorcisms. And those are points that he doesn't really acknowledge or, or, or talk about here, other than to say that anything that is not God is uh, uh, not his Catholic God is, is, the, demon, is the devil. Um, that being said... So this was always one of my biggest struggles when I was a Christian was the idea of, like, how can God allow this to happen to me? And the answer, it being, well, this is, it's not God, it's the devil, it, it always rubbed me the wrong way. Because, like, to some, you would see, you would, you would, you would hear that or you would, you would experience this and go, well, then God doesn't love me because he's not protecting me. I have... I've yelled out his name. I have I have done what he has asked me to do. I pray to him daily. I walked the path that he asked me to walk, and yet still I am unshielded. Well, maybe my faith wasn't strong enough. I was I stood in front of hundreds of people and preached. Uh, how I I I I I turned against my friends. I dropped everything so that I could be as godlike as as god fearing as i could be and yet i was still miserable god didn't save me god didn't save anybody anybody like that he just felt feels like it just ignores you and maybe maybe, maybe this is just me misunderstanding or misinterpreting the bible but i'm speaking from experience you know and i i don't think experience can be misinterpreted. Well, and I, what I think you're getting at there is actually something that I thought about pretty often in this book. I mean, because, okay, so again, acting as if everything in this book happened as he said it, there were people who, after their exorcism experience, had their faith in God affirmed and they lived happier, more productive lives. And I don't doubt that, but I, I think that, uh, you know, much like the divine comes to us in the form that we we can accept and we're ready for, we have you know we have to kind of interact with the right one in a mm -hmm. sense. Like, not everyone is going to find the same comfort in the Catholic God, right? Not, but that said, if you do, if that makes you a better person, it makes you want to grow, and you again, you don't be a jackass about it, and that goes for any faith, not just Catholicism. Correct. Uh, great. Yeah, you know, if it's making you grow and making you feel more secure in the world, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. And, but at the same time, you it should be understood that that is not going to be the universal human experience. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I've had a couple of experiences where I felt uh, kind of a, a presence of the divine or an air of you kind know, of the heaviness in the air, like there's something there with us. And it's almost very, it's very seldom been in a church setting or around the Christian faith. It's never something that's really clicked with me. There are other things which have clicked with me. I don't 
prescribe to any particular faith myself currently. Um, but I, I think that ultimately this spiritual journey we're all on is about fundamentally figuring out what works because it's ultimately about learning about yourself. And part of that could be figuring out what elements of the divine you sync with. Yeah. No, and I, I agree with that. Like, I, I think each person, it's kind of like what we say for the show, like the Midnight Roads, while we may be referencing the journey into understanding the phenomenon, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. We're all walking this path of, which is life, right? Trying to understand what it is that's happening uh, all around us at every moment of every day. And if one one faith, one kind of practice makes me feel better, makes me better, uh, as opposed to another, that doesn't make me demon-possessed. I am a better person now. I am a more caring, more empathetic, more loving person now than I ever was when I was an evangelical. I was bigoted and biased and hate-filled when I was an evangelical. And now, I'm, I, I, I mean, I obviously, we all have our, our, our hang-ups, and there are things that I have to work on, and I work on them every single day. But it, it's not, you know, it's not because, it, it, you know, it, I guess for me, it's because I was able to find this thing that I can connect with. And I feel even in my, my year now of studying Druidry, I've become better because of that. You know, I, I feel like I've been able to be more spiritual and more in touch with my own faith or my own, my own faith, my own uh, spiritual practice because of it. That being said, um, I, I think, I guess to try and come back, because we've gone a bit off topic, to try and come back to, to the, um, the, the source of the question. I think if I was going to try and exist inside the myth, the point of all of this is because, ideally, God allows for these things to happen because the, inside the myth, the only solution to be rid of these things is God. So, he allows for it to happen because it should guide us back to the correct path, that path being God. The problem is, in my opinion, for so many, if you tell me that I have to quit smoking to be closer with God, fine. That makes sense. Stop harming my body, stop risking uh, lung cancer, yada, yada, yada. I can see that argument being made. But if you tell me that the music I listen to is making me, de making me demon-possessed, I'm going to throw you out the window. Because that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it doesn't, it's not harming me, yada, you know, wh whatever. It's like there's, I don't know, it's like there's a fine line. And not everything is, not everything that's not God is innately evil. You know, that you can be good and not be a Christian, and that is something that I don't think that Rossetti truly believes in. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. I, you know, it's your, the conception that uh, evil things are supposed to lead us back to God and just had me thinking is like, so that's acceptable. But, you know, if I were to say, 
have a child and I uh, discourage them from from do, breaking the rules and doing bad things by every time they did, I unleashed my attack dog on them. CPS would be at my door pretty goddamn quick. No, yeah. they wouldn't be. But yeah, I see what you mean. Okay, it's still bad. Not uh, without talking about the problems of CPS. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I was being a dick there. But yeah, no, you're completely right. Like, obviously, when we put that in human terms, it sounds fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, borderline psychotic. But at the same time, no, nah, never mind. I was going <laughs> to make an excuse for God, and I'm not going to anymore. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for the next section? I don't know. Jay's got to answer the question. Oh, yeah. Aw. <laughs> My pity answer. Well, let's hear the pity answer. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, The thing with me is... It's almost difficult to answer my own question while existing fully inside the myth because Rossetti's example falls very short. It, my, Rossetti's answer falls very short, in my opinion, if he's just like, that is one of the mysteries that we will hopefully be allowed to fully understand when we uh, join God in heaven. It's like, well, why doesn't he tell us now? Like, right. like, why doesn't he? Why aren't we allowed to know the game? Like, why aren't we allowed to know what's actually going on? But, um,. The only explanation I can come up with while still existing inside the myth is just kind of is just kind of framing God as just this this unbelievably distant and impersonal force of nature to the point where like I've been I've been attempting to adjust my terminology. I don't call God by he him pronouns anymore. I call God it like when I'm referring to the Christian God. Like, cause that feel that feels more appropriate, and it weirdly makes some of this stuff almost easier to stomach. Of it's like, it, it God is a hurricane. It is a it is a giant force of gravity sitting at the center of the universe, and the reason bad things happen despite its awesome power is because its brain doesn't work like yours. And it, that's, that's actually the excuse I was going to make for God was work. We continue to try to put human analogies on something that is innately not. Yep. Um. So existing fully inside the myth, it's just kind of like God's way the fuck up there. And it, whether or not it loves you, that's a very complicated question because it's 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 hanging stars in the sky and punching black holes in the universe. And I don't know creating life out of carbon and dust and stepping halfway outside the myth um i frequently fall back on the theology put forth by uh dr harold kushner who is a uh jewish theologian um he ba- he wrote he wrote an incredible book called why do bad why do bad things happen to good people and he wrote it after his son died of progeria very young and uh, he's he's a rabbi. He's like, yeah, he's and Kushner basically throughout the journey of his grief came to the conclusion personally that he's like, God cannot be all powerful. Like he's like, we have to he's like, we have to give up one of the three things. God is all powerful. God is all good or God is all knowing. And he said that the thing that helped me maintain my faith and the everything that I got out of my faith was him letting go of the idea of God being all powerful. And that's, that's kind of like stepping one foot outside of the myth. 
that is the only way that I can comfortably answer this question for me is that God doesn't control everything in the universe. How could it? That doesn't even make any sense. And yeah. uh, so basically it's like, why does God allow bad things to happen? Because God's not allowing them. God didn't permit that and maybe doesn't even know that it's fucking happening. Potentially, yeah. So yeah. there's that. Have we beaten this question to death? Yeah. It's dead? Yeah. All right, let's bury it and then run away and then never talk about this ever again. You know we're gonna. I know. We're gonna get drunk and confess on TikTok, and then we're gonna go to prison for killing a question. I'd be really alarmed that I downloaded a TikTok to confess to a murder of an abstract concept. <laughs> Social media is poisoning the youth. I was gonna say, I'm the only one here with a TikTok. All right, so we're gonna post our, our abstract murder to Rory's TikTok. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Gotta get those followers somehow. I'll get the shovel. <laughs> and somehow... The actual confession didn't get you banned, but using the word kill did. Yeah, I mean, with the TikTok algorithm, you're not wrong. Well, listeners, I bet you think we're done with suffering, huh? Nope, not at all. I like this topic so much that we're leaping from theological justifications to personal justifications. You see, Rossetti does not just accept that God allows suffering. He maintains that demonic harassment can actually be a grace or a blessing. A sign of love from a higher power that should be used to strengthen one's faith. Remember all that shit that uh, we were talking about a minute ago about like, hey, isn't that super abusive and manipulative? Yep, we were just teeing this up. Oh, uh, good. That was an accident. Yep. Uh, I'm actually very proud of you guys. You are making this summary so much better than it was. My clairvoyance is kicking in. Either that or it's all the scotch. <laughs> you don't drink scotch. You're a vodka man. It's also uh, scotch is disgusting. You are wrong. I hate it so much. It makes me want to vomit. Oh, poor Nick, having to drink scotch sometimes. I, I don't. I, okay, whatever. Just go. <laughs> In entry twenty one, ugly but blessed, which sounds like a lifetime show. Um, <laughs> Rosetti tells us that one of his team members had texted him. She had apparently felt graced by God during a recent exorcism. Quote, it was like being in a warm house during a storm. Rossetti agrees that exorcisms are quite stormy. After all, many possessed people scream and writhe and threaten. Vomiting is far from uncommon in possession cases. Specifically, Rossetti has witnessed many cases of possessed clients vomiting up white foam. Another theological reflection set later in the book describes possession victims vomiting up nails, clumps of hair, small figurines, or in one case that I am furious we didn't read about, an entire snake. Right? That was just <laughs> dropped in the middle there. We never got the goddamn story about someone vomiting up a snake. A snake crawled out of her mouth, dude. Granted, uh... I was doing an exorcism and a snake crawled out of the woman's mouth might just be the whole story. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> with the way that he was going to write it, that would have been the whole story. Yeah, because each chapter in this is about a page to a page and a half. Yeah, and I think the longest one was three pages long. Yep. Ma many of them are significantly shorter, like a paragraph. Yep. <laughs> Instead of being a cause for alarm or just gross... However, these things should apparently be taken as a good sign. The extreme responses of the client's physical body indicates that the demons have been touched by God, are experiencing divine intercession, and are starting to be driven away. 
In Entry 57, Touched by Grace again, one member of Rossetti's team even weeps with joy during a difficult exorcism. God seemingly blessed her with a special grace for her role in the exorcism, and that connection to the divine moved her deeply, reaffirming her faith. Rossetti tells us that during an exorcism, at least one high-ranking angel is always present. Many saints have also come to his team's aid over the years, and Mother Mary, whom we'll get to later, is always close by. Quote, in an exorcism, we enter the supernatural realm of saints and angels. His argument culminates in Entry 59, Possession as a Grace. He starts off by assuring us that he knows possession is unpleasant. After all, the man watches people vomit up snakes while Beelzebub tries to make them start doing heroin again. He gets that that sucks. But despite the terror in his clients and the toll it takes on him personally, Rossetti still sees possession as having the potential to improve somebody's life. He argues that many possessed people were, quote, mired in sin, that their souls were at risk for eternal damnation. Others were cursed or offered up by their parents to demonic forces as part of a bargain. And still others were really so traumatized or mentally vulnerable that the demons crawled inside, sans invitation. In Rossetti's experience, the successfully exercised become more faithful than ever, filling the church pews at Sunday Mass. He believes that this is because they have now personally witnessed both the evil of Satan and the mercy of God, that they now know the truth and grew more loyal to the church as a result. And that really distressing string of paragraphs is going to bring us very quickly into question number three. In our past readings, most notably Strieber and Tyson, We've run across this idea of suffering as growth or purification as part of the path to wisdom. I myself have used the phrase productive torment in the past. But when it bobbed up in this book, phrased in these ways, it seemed to make us all blanch. See the previous discussion question. Why do we think that is? Is it a bias against Christianity, against Rossetti, or is this version of productive torment genuinely more flawed than the others we examined? Well, I think it's because the difference here is one is in our control and one is not, um, at least from my perception, right? Like, if I'm being uh, tormented by something and I'm being told that my only way forward is something that I fundamentally disagree with, I can't move forward. If I am being told that like the, the trials and tribulations of my life are within my control and that I can take control of these things by myself through my own practices, through therapy, through meditation, through uh, living life as a good person... Um, that, 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 I, that passes the vibe check, you know, whereas telling me that, uh, regardless of my good intentions, in fact, he says repeatedly throughout this book that intention doesn't matter, which is wrong. It's not just, it's not just, it, it is, it is probably the thing that is most wrong that's set out is said in this book is that intention doesn't matter that you can't be a, a good witch yada 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 but i know we'll get to that later so i won't harp on it now because i know what the last question is at least to an extent um 
so I I think ultimately I think that it, I think I do personally I think b- part of my problem is I do have a bias towards Christianity. I'm not going to deny that. I tried to when, anybody who listens to the show knows how deeply entrenched I was at least for a portion of my life within that within that society. Um God Nick witnessed it. Yeah, I I have flirted at the edge of it for a bit because of my relationship with you. Yeah. Uh, you even attended my Bible studies. Yeah, it just didn't end up working out for me. Yeah, that, and that's fine. Thank God for that. Whatever God you want. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that there is a bias with me. You know, I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that. But that being said, I I I don't. Some of the things that he would define as torment or demonic, I don't see as torment or demonic you know uh and so i think it's hard because the the path that he wants you to walk is one that's flawed in so many ways not just in its own biblical in its own theology which i believe it is um but also in the mistranslations and the just fucking layers upon layers of societal changes made by the church for the betterment of the church. Right. And none of that is acknowledged in this book. None of that is talked about here. Well, he doesn't talk about the fact of a lot of the things that are considered sins uh, were made that way by the church specifically to maintain political power. Deuteronomy 1810 has been fucking retranslated so many fucking times. Like the word like witchcraft and magic were not in the original translations of that. Yeah, pretty sure it was necromancy. That was one of them, yeah. And divination. Like, the dude, like, it was very, like so many things that I have a problem with when it comes to Christianity, things that he did in this book were picked so deliberately to push his own idea of what Christianity should be. Because I don't have a problem with Christianity in fact, I love aspects of Christianity, especially Gnosticism. I love it. I just can never be a part of it because of what the society of Christians have done with it. You know, if that, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So... That's to me, that's why it's different. There absolutely is bias with me, but I also think there is a difference in the way that he presents it because he's presenting one very specific path that you have to take or else it's demon in hell. And like I said, that just that just doesn't pass the vibe check. See, I, I very similar reasons. I think uh, for me not to go back to the uh, one of my answers from the previous question, but uh if the torment is meant to make us grow, um, growth cannot happen if I'm being tormented forever. Like, because it doesn't matter how much I grow. If I'm in hell, I'm in hell forever, and that's it. And there's no point in me trying to grow or be a better person. So, no, the torment isn't for my own growth in that situation. It's what punishment. Um, taking a broader approach, kind of looking at it, comparing to uh, some of the other authors we've read, I think I see some key differences in that, for example, Strieber's aliens, uh, they invoke some torment on him, but they were never framed as all good or all knowing in the same way that God is in this book. Uh, In fact, sometimes they seemed 
comically underprepared to deal with the situation. They show yeah. up in a cardboard suit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is a very important meeting. I better put on my best business gear. It, it made it seem like, like with Strieber, like you were saying, it made it seem like it was another intelligence trying to interact with us. Yeah, and they they messed up sometimes. Maybe they didn't understand the torment they were causing. And even mm. later, when they were asking him to give stuff up, like, for example, the give up chocolate. Well... Yes, that was them trying to put him through, I guess, a little bit of suffering to cause some growth. But at the same time, they were communicating exactly what they wanted and why. Whereas in this in this setup, as he is presented in this book, uh, I, I guess a demon is going to come into you. Uh, you might not even know about it. There's no, And the only way you can go about it is radically changing your entire life based on how I want. That That is not the same in my mind. Uh, God can shoot me a text if there's something that's really pissing him off. You hey, know? according to him, demons can text, so that, why can't I, God? I yep. love the fact that demons were texting him, and I am really mad that there's not a journal entry here about a demon dropping him a mushroom pick. Though, uh, <laughs> <laughs> though you brought up something interesting that uh, I wanted to uh, that I wanted that I want to mention while I was thinking about it. The, the the God that Monsignor Rossetti presents here is a God that makes no mistakes. And that is factually incorrect according to the Bible, because God made one real big mistake. It was us, and he drowned us all. And then it turns out that was the mistake, because he woke up when he was no longer drunk and angry, and he was like, oh shit, what did I do? And he put a rainbow in the sky to be like, I'll never do it again, guys. So, like... That's that's another really interesting point that you brought up, like that, you know, Strieber's aliens made mistakes and they fucking owned it. And it's like the idea that God can't make mistakes is a joke because he makes mistakes. I, I just got this image in my head of some somebody beating the dog shit out of someone else, just a royal beating. And at the end being like... <sighs> And putting a sticker on there for him, be like, "Sorry, <laughs> that's what the rainbow <laughs> <Sorry>. is." <laughs> um, yeah, and, and well, also then comparing it to Tyson, uh, in that the torment was the self. Yeah, we were our Literally. own tormentors yeah. in her cosmology. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she was dealing with the angels, which does actually make me wonder <laughs> what if, uh, it actually did make me wonder what if demonic possession, what that ultimately is is people going through an awakening experience like she was go like she went through and demons are manifestations of shadows meaning parts of the negative side of your psychology that are the, manifest the Jenny Tyson shadows yeah yeah that's what I'm re I'm referencing yeah, Jenny yeah. Tyson's book um and I just thought that was interesting. I mean, that it, another theological possibility to throw on the burning pyre. I actually like that interpretation of demon possession just in general a, a whole lot though the only issue that I have with it, and maybe this would be something that somebody could test, not us, but like what if instead of trying to cast out the demons, if they are a, a representation of their like the, their shadow self or whatever, um, what if instead of casting it out, you have to just, you have to help them overcome it, you know, instead of casting it out in the name of Jesus you have to do like what Jenny Tyson did, and you have to go through, you have to guide the, whomever it is is leading them through and has to lead them through the seven seals or whatever it might be. Well, and kind of taking a broader approach, a broad, even a broader perspective, one thing that I uh, went and did some of my own side research on because I was curious is the exorcism rituals of other religions. And it's interesting because, I mean, they, they have different rites, they say different things, they invoke different gods, but the net effect seems to be the same. 
uh, which kind of led me to wonder, it, is it really about, I am saying the right magic words, or I have this intention, yeah. and that intention is what's causing this to happen. It's fundamentally a spell. Yeah, no, exor- that's all exorcisms are, is a ritual. Yeah, it, it's it's a magic ritual. Well, and you're repeating the same mantra over and over again. Oh, yeah. You have sacramental tools, and yes, there Catholicism is, is magic. Yes, it is. Yeah, ap- yes, which is made it's every time he school. called all spellcraft evil hilarious to me because I felt like I read the entire book about him doing spells. Yeah, and uh, when he called the occult evil, it's like, bro... You live inside the fucking occult. You are the occult, motherfucker. You wear a black robe and brandish a weird symbol made of metal or wood and talk about shit no one else can see. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. a wizard. And, and, and he acknowledges Catholic mystics. Yeah. yeah. He has fucking psychics. I, I just kept thinking back to uh, Demon of Brownsville Road and the one priest being like, yeah, reincarnation's real, but we don't tell the squares about that. Yeah. <laughs> they dropped Demon of Brownsville Road in one of these entries. Oh, yeah, he yeah, did. He did. Yeah. he did, because I remember writing in my notes, oh, hello, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I was, so, But, uh, yeah, no, I was also thinking of that the entire time when it was just like, Monsignor... What are the things that you know that you have been sworn to secrecy about? <laughs> like I, probably what? a lot because he's an because he, he's an ordained exorcist. Uh huh. He went he went through the fucking academy. Like mm-hmm. I mean, he's I mean, we'll get to this in the about the author. He is also deep in the Catholic Church. He's involved oh, yeah. in a lot of their their highest level uh, panels and organizations and things like that. So yeah, he's got the secrets. Take me to the archive, Rossetti. I I, I want to see the archive so bad. Where are the aliens, Rossetti? I I, I know pro- you got them in there. I, I promise I won't liberate anything from the archive and return it to the people it was stolen from. Swearsies. Deep in the archive, Alf is locked in the Ark of the Covenant. No, let him out of there. No. <laughs> he can't be in there. <laughs> Why isn't it melting his face? Who put Alf in the Ark of the Covenant? Who opened the Ark of the Covenant long enough to put Alf inside? Larry, the janitor. What? Why can Larry, the janitor, look upon the open Ark of the Covenant and not melt? He's chosen by God to be the janitor. So he's allowed. Jesus fucking Christ. I should probably answer my own question before I keep asking questions about the janitor, huh? Yep. Yeah, probably. Um, so I, I also feel like it ultimately comes down to choice because that was my big thing during the summer of Streber of how I stopped ripping my hair out over how shitty the visitors seem to be is just kind of stepping fully inside that myth and the idea of like, no, on sub some on some subconscious level, when when Streber's visitors are coming to people and doing this shit, it's because they were called out for. It's because ultimately they were they were wanted and they do have some sort of permission to be there. And I hadn't thought about the idea of framing God as being all good and incapable of making mistakes as kind of informing our response to that. But that does that does make it seem seem shittier of, again, that removal of nuance of like, well, you're not even allowed to be upset about Mm. this because it happening clearly indicates that it should be happening. And um, all three of us in this uh, room are pretty sensitive about being told we're not allowed to feel things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because I've I've spent years being told that I should feel things. Yep. I'm just a deeply emotional and irrational person. 
I like when you feel things. When you feel things, it makes you marry me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so, and as as for the rest of it, I weirdly think one of the things that irritated me that irritated me about this most is compared to the other because uh, I just really like this phrase. The other cases of productive torment is this is the only time where we have not get gotten that experience given to us in the victim's words. Rossetti is a third party making sweeping pronouncements about an incredibly intimate experience that he has not gone through. He's never been possessed. He didn't need that to affirm his faith. But him, he so he stands outside of this experience that he acknowledges is shitty and terrifying and probably deeply traumatic and talks about it as a grace and a blessing and as something that they should be using to reaffirm their faith. It, it just starts to sound like Tudor Dixon telling people that it's like, well, if you're raped and impregnated against your will, you should take that as an opportunity to become the best parent you can. Like, We should just throw her into a river. I I really want to put her in an ice float and send her out for the polar bears and narwhals to deal with. Um, <laughs> Don't do that. Don't poison the bears. I think the polar bears would know not to eat her. I think they just. I, I, I don't know about that. They're bears. <laughs> they eat every. They eat garbage. I was just saying, polar bears are uh, aggressive. Yes, they are. Which is why I want to send Tudor Dixon right into one of their dens. <laughs> um. But I won't poison the bears. I won't do that to uh, to Nick's loyal subjects. Um, Good. So, yeah, I, I think that's weirdly the thing that ends up bothering me the most about Rossetti uh, and his his description of possession as, as being a grace or some sort of counterintuitive blessing is because that I deeply despise the rhetoric of well everything happens for a reason and if your life is destroyed beyond all comprehension and is reduced to a smoking pile of ashes you should rise from those ashes as a beautiful phoenix it's like or i can sit down here in the dirt and sob about the unfairness of it all it's just it's like that's the thing that i think that's the thing that bothers me is him making this third party pronouncement that this is productive torment when it's like, I've never actually heard that from one of these people that you're talking about because you right. didn't let them talk. Yeah, They're not sharing their stories in, these bo- in this book. You're sharing your interpretation of those stories. And it doesn't matter what authority you're granted by the institution of your church. You don't get to tell people something was a blessing when they didn't think it was. Right. That's a, and that's a very good point. Yeah. No, I agree. Because in the other situations we have, the, the that conclusion was come to by the person who was suffering. Right. Uh, it it kind of would be like imagine if I guess Streber never got through the fear, and it, after that first horrifying experience where he gets taken and he gets violated, he gets dropped off, and the alien just leaned in and went, "You're welcome." <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Or or Streber went to like went went to like fucking a ufo support group and described all of that and they all started mocking him for not appreciating the experience right like although that said um i feel like in certain very select groups of the ufo community that exact thing happens no that it's not even that select that happens all the time yeah there is a weird group of people uh 
And there's a weird group of people who it kind of seems like have this belief that if you're if you become an experiencer, it's always a good thing and you should always celebrate it when there's so many people who never asked for this and don't want that to be their life. Like it's something that was done to them. Yeah. And like what we did to Jay. (laughs) And that's I weirdly think that's part of why I dig my heels in so desperately and go like, no. They're evil because I have no reason to believe they're not is just kind of I, I know I'm a contrarian and I know I do that because of deep seated uh, neuroses and idiosyncrasies that uh, no therapist in the world will ever pry free of my personality. But also, I genuinely do believe that there's value in if there's 10 people saying something is one way, being the 11th person going, are you fucking sure? Like. So, yeah, things like that make me dig my heels in about, like, I don't think we should uh, just blindly trust and worship things that come down from the sky, throw us in horrible metal boxes, and sexually assault us. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Rossetti does not, get, does not get to make that call for other people on if what happened to them was good or not, and so that is, at the end of the day, my personal problem with this version of productive torment. I've I've come around on Strebers. I believe him. I embrace his worldview. If that helped him, the more power to him. Thank God the man's found happiness. Yeah. Hey, he seems to have. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is now the third victim in our question murder spree. And we're going to be moving on to lucky number four. <laughs> now, personally, I was expecting this book to be much scarier. After all, it's a book about demons. Demons that are living inside people. But it's not. It's not very scary at all. In entry number seven, attacked by demons, Rossetti is attacked by demons while playing (laughs) (laughs) while praying over a possessed client. I thought that chapter would be about bocce ball. It was not. (laughs) Can you imagine if it was about bocce ball? And he's like, and then I was walking out to the parking lot. Uh, Fucking Azazel drove up and shot me six times. (laughs) 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 That that would move this book from one of my least favorite we've covered to one of my favorite we've covered. If there was a fucking demonic drive-by. Everything else also, the book is completely unchanged. He mentions that exactly once, and then it just—it just has to come up. On. It has to come up later. Like the following day, his exorcism was difficult due to my bullet wounds, and then that's <laughs> the only other time it's mentioned. I would like gain a weird new respect for Rossetti. It's like, what do you mean you went to work the next morning? Ah, that can't stop the bull moose. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know what just happened here, but I have been shot. But it takes more than that to put down a man of God. <laughs> And then he dies, just spontaneously. His head explodes. Had nothing to do. Nothing to do with the fucking bullets. His head explodes. Yeah, his head explodes. Your mind is a carnival. <laughs> uh, I took a nap before we recorded this, and now I'm hyper. Uh, so anyway, in entry number seven, Rossetti gets attacked by demons while praying over a possessed client. A gifted member of his team, who can allegedly see demons, witnessed these creatures beating Rossetti throughout the session. In Entry 42, branded by Satan, a man who prayed to the devil for monetary success awakes with an upside-down cross burned into the back of one shoulder. Entry 54, Demons and Suicide, tells us that many demons seek to drive their victims to take their own lives. 
They fill their heads with self-doubt, despair, worthlessness. Apparently, the devil really, really likes it when people kill themselves, and I'm caught between professional concern and respect for his cultural traditions. An earlier theological reflection mentioned that when demons are tormenting addicts, they may conjure drug paraphernalia or bottles of alcohol, trying to tempt a sober person off the wagon. And Entry 55, Paralyzed by Demons, tells the story of a gifted member of Rossetti's team being attacked during an exorcism. The demon leapt from the body of the possessed victim and wound its way around the woman's spine. She was paralyzed from the neck down and was unable to feel her body. The symptoms did not abate until her spine was prayed over. On at least one occasion, Rossetti has faced the Prince of Darkness himself during an exorcism. He describes the devil as much grander, more imposing, and more intelligent than his lower-ranking rabble. His voice is described as a snake-like hiss, and he usually shows up with most of his princes in tow. But even without their lord and master leading the charge, these demons seem like they should be a fairly significant threat, right? Eh, half right. You see, for all the snake vomiting and levitating and reciting the sins of those present, we have to remember that demons can't actually kill us. And furthermore, some entries in this book seem to make them out to be much, much weaker than they initially appear. Take that paralyzed woman, for example. A few prayers over her back and she was fine. The upside-down cross brand faded after four days. In the theological reflection attached to the entry, Heavy Demons, Rossetti tells us that demons have no true influence over our free will, that in the end, all they have is suggestion. Furthermore, their little manifestations, their shows of power, those have a cost. A demon's power is not infinite, and their harassment of their victims likely exhausts them after a while. In Entry 46, titled Why Should You Be Anxious?, Rossetti describes exorcisms as watching a baseball game when you already know who wins. What is hell's power before Christ, he assures us. Jesus wins! That's how it works, and therefore we have nothing to fear from these vile, fallen things. And in Entry 74, Are Demons Brilliant or Stupid? The contradiction feels even more blatant. In this entry, Rossetti describes demons as being infinitely more intelligent and more powerful than us. As they once were angels, no human can stand against them. But, he counters to himself, their fall deprived them of God-given wisdom, reducing them to, quote, adolescent gang members, supercomputers with completely corrupted software. Therefore, they cower before the sign of the cross and before the might of the church and are always driven out in the end. And that leads us, inelegantly, to question number four. Rossetti seems to have a complicated relationship with demons, and with their leader. Depending on the page or entry we're currently reading, the threat level posed by a demon seems to vary wildly. In some instances, they are impossibly strong, smart, and resilient. In other places, they're made out to be weak, stupid, and completely ineffectual. Do we have any way of making sense of that contradiction, or is this particular mystery beyond us? I mean... The answer, my answer, truthfully, is that mystery is beyond us currently. Uh, I don't believe that, I think that whatever that other world is and those entities, wherever they come from, it is so complicated. I'm not even sure the human mind can understand it if we had it explained to us. Um, 
that's and along that line, there could be a lot that goes into that. Maybe uh, the moon, the phase of the moon in the sky affects a demon's strength. Maybe the the presence of an underground underground river beneath the house affects the demon's strength. Maybe it matters how many times someone's played with a Ouija board on that block. We don't we don't know. Um, but going beyond that, I think one thing that we always have to remember is that this book obviously comes from an author, and that author has many of his own beliefs and cultural biases about the topic, it makes perfect sense to me that he has absolute belief in God. So, of course, his this idea that demons are these sniveling cowards that will always be beaten by Christ, that fully aligns with what his faith would tell him. So that, that doesn't shock me that, that, that he's, he, that's his argument. Uh, and at the same time, when he talks about how dangerous they are, from the same perspective, I mean, again, his job, he's a priest— is to bring people to the church, to keep them there, to help reaffirm their faith. Uh, and like it or not, I mean, this is the—you go back in any kind of fiction writing, you need an enemy, and that enemy has to be scary. That fear is a motivator, and it's a, a lot of religions have used fear as the primary motivator to get asses in the seat. Yeah, like the Catholic Church. It doesn't surprise me that, that, uh, that we see that kind of dichotomy, because on one hand, he can't have— God and Jesus actually be threatened by these things, but at the same time, they must be a threat. How do you negotiate that? As, as a writer, if I was writing it as a fictional narrative, I mean, I wouldn't do that because it'd be too difficult. So I, I think that's why we see this sort of uh, inconsistent power level. I, I did have uh, two more thoughts. One is that it just reminded me of a scene in a novel. So n- not metaphysically important at all, uh, but it's, Along the same lines, in the book Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, there's this scene where the uh, a preacher is, you know, he's, he's going off about how on, on the judgment day there'll be the great war between heaven and hell, and Jesus and the angels will smite all the demons and lock the doors of, to, of, the, of the pit. And there's an angel in the present who is uh, currently possessing someone, basically just tells him, like, yeah, that's propaganda. It's actually a crapshoot. They have a pretty good shot. Uh, which I it just reminded me of that. Uh, but if I wanted to take a step outside the myth, uh, again, let's look, let's go back to John Keel, as we often do on the show. Uh, the inconsistent nature of their, their violence and their power level could come down to who's wearing the costume at that moment. Uh, one ultra terrestrial decides he's going to be Satan that day. And that Satan is super violent and, and super sinister. And then the next time, Ah, uh, maybe the guy is calling in sick to work or calling it in at work. He really doesn't isn't feeling this Satan gig, puts on the outfit, puts up a little bit of show, and then leaves whimpering because ultimately he wants to go home and watch Netflix. Mm. You know, so I that those are the only thoughts I had. Obvi- obviously, though, I go back to the core. We have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I think that the we'll say the easy answer is that we have no idea. Um, but I think that, uh, in his cosmology, the reason is, uh, it depends on the demon because there is an actual demon hierarchy. That's true. You know, it, so each demon is going to be different in its power scale, depending on the kind of demon that it is. Uh, so I think that that is, a, and, and, and I do to an extent believe that that's probably a thing. Uh, if angels and demons are real and demons are fallen angels, they probably held to the same structure even when they switched teams, so to speak. 
that being said, I think that there's also the possibility of uh, whomever they are possessing, uh, that their strength, their uh, belief in the possession itself probably plays a factor into how much power they can uh, manifest, maybe. So if I if I'm the possessed and I don't believe that this is a demon, even if it is, I think that might curtail some of that power, maybe one way or the other. I, I don't really know. Almost like uh, the people, we, we are doors, and ultimately the demon can only express as much power as can fit through the crack, and we are the ones who decide how open the door is. And I, I think that that falls in line very similar to with what even Rossetti has said here, uh, because I don't... Th I. There's no reason why if if demons can inter interact with our side, which they can, even according to Rossetti here, they can they like technology, they can flick it on and off and mess around with it, but it doesn't seem like, for the most part, they can do too much to our our plane, right? Yeah, uh, and I think that that's why they need us so that they can interact with this plane more physically, right? So, yeah, I, we're kind of the doorway for them to get in. And I think our, uh, our belief in them or our uh, belief in the scenario plays a part in it. We, like you said, we allow how much that door can come, they swing open or, or, or closed. Um, I, I, and, you know, that, that comes back to intent matters. You know, it's not, it's not, not a thing. Um, but I, I think that, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of my general thoughts on that. I th I think that there actually is a demon that like there probably is some kind of hierarchy in demon, um, like there are in, in, in just about anything, you know, and the more, uh, the more powerful, probably the older, I don't know, the demon is the more they can do, but also our own intention matters or our own belief matters in this. And maybe even the person doing the exorcism, too. Like, all of that energy is going to play a part in it. it. It can't not, according to how I understand magic, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, like, the thought occurred to me, even if demons or demons or discarnate entities or whatever have you, even if they don't innately have a hierarchy, uh, in the context of when they're interacting with people who believe there's a hierarchy, they'd have one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, here's another, here's another, uh, pin, uh, or point in that. Um, let's think about the screaming house. Okay. I'm thinking about it. Um, the, the main lady got all the problems, right? Her husband yeah. didn't believe shit. And Charlie encountered nothing. Donna. Exactly. And, is it Donna? Helen. 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 Yeah. I don't know where I pulled Don out. Yeah. Helen. Uh, yeah. Helen experienced most of the activity and Charlie didn't. Yeah. And maybe it was because of that steadfast uh, 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 denial in it that they couldn't interact with him in the same way. It's like a sheer glass wall and they're just throwing themselves against it. Straight, just... straight up doubting Thomas style.
Not today, Satan. Yeah, there's just a, yeah, I just got the image of just the demon kind of pressed up against the glass, mouth open, tongue just moving on the glass. Yeah. Like Pennywise in the Hall of Mirrors. Yep, and yep. Charlie just walks over whistling and just hangs a Led Zeppelin poster just right over <laughs> it and just goes back to his day. You know, and then even in Alma Fielding, the more she leaned into that this was happening, the worse it got. Yep. Yep. Her and Nandor Fodor was like, let's harness your psychic abilities. And then her entire world caught fire. Yeah, so I, 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 I absolutely think, and the more I'm thinking about it and comparing it to other books that we've read, um, I absolutely think that's a thing. Yeah. I love when you answer my questions. Everything you think is so interesting. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you think so, because sometimes I think I'm boring. <laughs> I'm just going to fuck off now. Nick. <laughs> Nick, you are one of the smartest people I know. Everything that comes out of your mouth makes me feel stupid. Nick. Good. Nick, if you told me tomorrow that one of the neighbors was possessed and we needed to kill him, I would be like, well, normally I'd argue, but it's Nick. I feel like he wouldn't just make that declaration willy-nilly, you know? I feel like he's done some tests. I Again, I circle back to, I feel like I could become a cult leader, and I need to fight that urge for the rest of my life. That is the great battle of my life, is fighting the urge to become a cult leader. You have the charisma, and I easily would have been like your your right hand from the get. I would absolutely. Absolutely have joined your cult, fully knowing it was a cult. Um, yeah. Here's the thing, dude. I want to make an FX show about a guy based on you where he desperately doesn't want to be a cult leader, but cultists keep showing up and worshiping him. And he's like, for God's sake, I have a job. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that I, I, I think I'd be a pretty chill cult leader because... Like the parts of being a cult leader that appeal to me are none of the horrifying parts. Yeah. You just want to run a commune. You just want friends. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I want uh, I want a large circle of friends who all get along and all are in vicinity to each other and none of them can leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of a large circle of friends in vicinity of each other that can't leave, here's my opinion on what demons are doing. <laughs> <laughs> See? See how I circled it back around? I'm a fucking genius. Anyway... <laughs> I'm still hyper from my nap. I'll try to calm down. No, don't, don't. No, don't. <laughs> um, I feel like I keep stepping outside of the myth in order to answer my own questions. And I promise you guys, I legitimately can't help it because um, I obviously never, I, I was never christened. I never took first communion. I never actually went through any sort of formal catechism or induction into the Catholic Church. What I got was my family's cultural Catholicism and the insane fringe theology that my father was teaching me growing up that I now realize was him processing his own religious trauma, which is uh, <laughs> super neat. I love you, Dad. You might be listening to this, and you're amazing. But um, yeah, anyway, I... I just fall back on his perpetual idea that the only way this entire scenario makes any sense at all is if Lucifer was told to fall on purpose and the demons he dragged with him are fully cognizant volunteers in what is essentially the longest running WWE rivalry of all time. Huh. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. yeah. No, this is what my father believes is he's like, no, 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 no. Lucifer felt like that exact thing you were talking about, Nick, of it's like because the narrative of history needs a villain. 
my dad was like that hell is a prison and someone needs to be the warden and there needs to be guards he's like lucifer was the the brightest and most intelligent angel of all he was the morning star of course god picked him he's like you're the only one i trust to do this Mm -hmm. and so the fact that demons have all of this awesome power and then the minute a priest brandishes a cross and goes, get out of here, they go running away. It, it, to me, it's not different than when a lion cub bites his dad's tail and the dad pretends to die to build confidence. Like, <laughs> I, like it, it's pageantry. It's all, it, it's all just part of the great big cosmic story that's supposed Mm -hmm. to teach us some lesson that we don't quite understand yet like the demons have all the power that they claim to but they're not going to use it on you because you're an itty bitty little human and if they kill you they're going to get yelled at by Vince McMahon I I love that and now I hate it because now I'm imagining God God itself is Vince McMahon, and I can't live in that universe. I just can't do it. He he made God made one of their many many mistakes by hiring Vince McMahon to try and run the whole the whole demon outfit, and that's why. And now Vince McMahon is obviously fired because he should be fired from everything. What do you mean they're Boeing? Send a flood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have given him flood authority. Stop crying, guys. You know they need another plague. Okay, you know what? No, you're fine. We're going to do seven plagues. It's going to be huge. (laughs) Jesus Christ, I'm going to force you to be reborn into a very strange-looking body. See that that guy down there, the giant one? He's the one that's going to have the plague. Yeah. Like big guys. Yeah, yeah, Uh, big guys. Yeah. That that Jesus guy, he's a total twerp, though. He's not going to go far. He doesn't have the skills to make it in this industry. That is my son. I'm sorry about that, but he's not going to make it. (laughs) It's my only begotten son. I'm probably going to kill him on a cross. (laughs) Okay, and now Vince McMahon is Pontius Pilate. I have created look, a monster. Look, all I'm saying is if he wants to do what's good for the company, he'll take the L for the Romans. We really need to push the Romans. If he doesn't take the L, how are we supposed to push the narrative? I mean, that is correct. Okay, Jesus, I need you to pick out the most loyal of your followers like I did, and I need you to make him do a horrible, unforgivable thing. Pick that Judas guy. He looks stupid. <laughs> Don't worry, don't worry. Jesus will get to kick out after a few days. Three days. (laughs) Move on. Please, God, move on. Okay, okay. I can't believe that just fucking happened. Uh, I think this uh, is the most thoroughly I've broken you guys in a long time. uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> For anybody who didn't know, Nick and I used to be real big fans of wrestling. <laughs> oh, I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> uh, so, okay, we're going to move on to our very last section. We're almost out of the basement, guys. I can't, I can't hear that without just thinking of that fucking card from that card game. Who the fuck let you out of the basement? <laughs> <laughs> and now, for our final section, we're going to talk about Mary. You see, Mary, according to Rossetti, is the most powerful force of light against demons other than the Almighty itself. Mother Mary, the Blessed Virgin, is frequently invoked by exorcists and is called the New Light Bearer, a.k.a. the one who took Lucifer's vacant spot in the angelic hierarchy of heaven. The idea of Lucifer being the former Light Bearer, or Morning Star, or Light Bringer, depending on how you translate it, comes from the Book of Isaiah, a Jewish prophetic text that many Christians... 
wrongly, sorry, something in my throat, interpret as being about Jesus of Nazareth. Recall that in Christianity, light is often synonymous with divinity, with grace, with God itself. Mary, as the bearer of Christ onto the physical earth, is therefore the light's immaculate vessel. This elevated position makes her the strongest force against Lucifer and his demons. Rossetti has claimed that Mary is, in one shape or form, present at every exorcism. In the adjoining theological reflection, Rossetti cites Revelation and the common Catholic thought that Mother Mary is the woman clothed in the sun and crowned in stars, who will crush the serpent's head beneath her foot. That second bit about the serpent actually comes from Genesis. In 315, when God vows to place enmity between the serpent and, quote, the woman, many Christians do not think of that as all women. Instead, they believe it is Mary specifically who has been tasked with taking out God's smelliest garbage, either in the end of days or now in a suburban house where that damn Mel Gibson flick ain't cutting it anymore. Like Christ himself, her name is said to be so holy most demons will not utter it. They merely call her that woman and flee at once when she appears manifested in the exorcism space. In Entry 91, for example, a possessed woman suffering with severe guilt after an abortion was being tormented by a demon called Abizu. The demon taunted the victim, called Lucy, for her supposed sin, telling her again and again that she could never be forgiven. Despite performing penance and confessing to this, we'll call it a sin for the sake of existing inside the myth, despite her confession and penance, Lucy seemed to be crumbling under her remorse. That is, until one of the incarnations of Mother Mary was invoked. Our Lady of Guadalupe, where Mary appeared to Juan Diego as a pregnant woman with darkness trampled beneath her feet, is frequently invoked for the protection of unborn children, and the once proud and stubborn Abizu began to convulse and writhe and scream. It is Juan Diego's name for Our Lady of Guadalupe that lends itself to this entry's title. Tecotlazo Peu, She Who Crushes the Serpent. And in Entry 95, titled She Will Come, Rossetti tells us of the end of a long, difficult exorcism, one in which Satan himself was leading the demonic cohort. The trial ended when, before the very eyes of the possession victim, Mother Mary herself entered the room to cast the infestation out. Rossetti says that before the mother of God, the devil himself screamed. And that leads us into question five, our very last one. This question is not actually about Mary. Instead, she's more of a convenient example. Mother Mary is central to Catholic dogma, Yet the church is deeply misogynistic, a well-understood fact. And that is not the only grim fact or troubling declaration found in these pages. So I ask you, my esteemed colleagues, to step outside the myth and look back at it as a third party. When you do, what are some of the most troubling aspects or facets of this belief system? Well, where to begin? Rory has opinions. I I do. I have quite a few. I'm so fucking ready for these. I actually, I because I, I read this book on Kindle because I did not buy a physical copy of it. I'm proud of myself for that. Um, just taking just this book, okay? So some of the problems that I have with a, a lot of this is the way that it was presented to me, okay? 
So starting, I'll start there, and we'll just go down the line. So some of the, so one of the, I would say the most egregious things that he did in this book was he would say things like, um, here I'll pull one up. I've heard from many people that I've helped over the years that they often cannot get through to me on the phone. Just as an example, right, of something that he said. This was about the calls with, uh, phone calls with the demons. Um, source. Where's where's some of your examples? Um, I have a another one here. Uh, he says um, about in the the uh, in the diary entry forty three. Our terrorists possessed. He says, quote, but recent studies suggest many of them do not have a di- have a diagnosable mental illness, nor are they psychotic. Um, source, because there was none. Now, he he had a, a tendency of of saying something that backed up his assertion, but then providing no context to make an independent assessment of it. Now, and in other areas, he did cite sources, so it's not like he's unfamiliar with the concept because. Literally, the next sentence references a study that he cited. And I have a problem when you're going to just throw things out there as if they are fact and then not cite your source, okay? Um, But beyond that, looking at just the actual mythology presented to me here, I have a problem with anybody who says that intention doesn't matter that I can't be a good person and still get into heaven because I don't believe in your God. Maybe your God doesn't believe in me, and that's why we can't connect. Not only is that not fair to me or anybody else who doesn't believe in your, in your God, but you're saying that your way is the one and only truth, and that's that can't be right because there are cultures and people around the world who will have, who will never hear of your god and you're saying that they're damned to hell uh, not to mention the billions i get like i was saying earlier the billions upon billions of people who were born lived and died under different faith systems long before the church was a thing ah yeah. they're in limbo so they're 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 fucked out of eternal paradise on a technicality yep yeah no I- exactly uh, and i i don't and won't ever get behind a faith in a God that is going to damn people for not being born in the right area. Like, that's fucked up. That's super fucked up. And repeatedly throughout this, when he, especially when he talks about witchcraft, it just shows such a lack of understanding of what witchcraft actually is. And he's only seeing... Fire and brimstone and witchcraft is, is is this like we're gathering around a cauldron and banishing people when if you actually took five seconds, five whole seconds to read a single article about what witchcraft actually is, you would see that it is in line with everything Jesus said. I, I throw spare change into a cup and pray to something I love but can't see. How is that not the same thing that he does? I, I, exactly. Um, and the, the primary, the core, like just looking at Wicca, one aspect of witchcraft, the core tenets of Wicca are effectively love yourself, love other people and, you know, be a good person. Um, 
those are pretty much the same shit that Jesus talked about. You know, uh, I, I, I'm seeing parallels here. They're not opposing forces, but rather um, two sides of the same coin going to the same place. You know, we're not, we're not trying, like, people who practice witchcraft aren't trying to burn Christians in hell. Like, yeah. I, 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 I don't see why you have to impose your will on them. And that is another thing repeatedly throughout this is like him imposing his will upon anybody else who doesn't have the same agreement, uh, the same ideology as him. I, I, a lot of this is going to harp back to the same kind of, the same kind of thing, but it, it, in it's, it is what it is, but it, it is repeatedly done throughout this book and I can't, get past it i guess but uh he says in the book here quote many pagan gods are actually demons such as ball um no like just no i i i can't i i can't i, I said this at the beginning of the episode and i'll say it again even god acknowledges that there are other gods okay again a fundamental misunderstanding of not only his own book apparently but of the world around him because the first fucking commandment acknowledges other gods. It's kind of the point of the first commandment. Exactly. Like, uh, to me, the first commandment reads as, if you choose me, I can be your only God. And that's fair. I can accept that. Sure, yeah. I can absolutely accept that. But him saying, I'm, but, it, but reading that and saying, no, I am the only God, and therefore there are no other gods. Any other God is just a demon. What book did you fucking read, bud? Because it's not the same one that I did. I don't know. There's, there's a lot, and I've, I've said a lot of it throughout, uh, throughout this episode about like what some of my biggest or most troubling aspects are, or the most troubling aspects of all this are, of this specific belief system. And I want to reiterate what Nick said earlier. I don't dislike Christians. I dislike this kind of ideology within Christianity, okay? Because I believe that there is a lot of good inside the Bible. Yep. I believe that there is a lot of good inside of people who, who follow the faith of Christianity, okay? My dad is a very devout Christian, and he is a genuinely great person, okay? Like, hands down, one of the best people I've ever, that I'll ever know, would give you the shirt off his back without you even asking. He, he, he's a very caring person. But he's also mildly corrupted by the Christian ideologies. Because uh, like the abortion shit that's spewed throughout this, that, that spewed or scattered throughout this book, like can't say that we have autonomy over our own body and then say you don't have autonomy over your own body because you're committing a, a heinous act. And then ultimately that comes down to the debate of when we believe that life starts, Okay. And that's not a debate that we're going to have right now. Just know that I'm against you if you think that it's wrong. Well, and the funny thing is, is I've actually, and now, again, this might be something that Jay is going to correct me on. 
Uh, but I've, I've seen the arguments being made that there are even places in the Bible itself which reference it regarding abortion specifically that uh, it's implied that the soul enters the body upon the first breath. It's no, that is, if you if you believe Genesis to be a hundred percent fact, then that is exactly what it's saying. That is a that is a Jewish belief, actually. Um, so Judaism is obviously just as broad and multifaceted as Christianity, and cre- and contains just as many differences in opinions, but. By and large, um, Jewish people hold a very theologically hold a very, very high sanctity on life, and precedent is obviously given to existing life. And so while most of the most Jewish theologians interpret life as beginning, as you said, at first breath, um, abortion in many cases is actually treated as like a moral imperative of like, no, the mother's health is being threatened. That child has not drawn its third breath, its first breath, so it's not a child. It is currently a thing that is killing a living human woman. You are obligated to allow her to terminate the pregnancy, and there's a very strong argument to be made off of that theology. It's like if you prevent someone from terminating a pregnancy and they die because of it, you are a murderer, and yeah. you should be put to death. You murdered that woman. So I guess the moral of the story is... Um, I, I disagree with a lot of what he presented here in terms of um, especially the magic stuff. Like that is probably to me the thing that probably offended me the most, probably because I'm so actively practicing magic all the time. Um, so I was uh, I, I not only just offended by it, but like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think part of like, here's the thing. I don't practice magic all the time. Uh, I have small things I do here and there, but it's not by no means a regular part of my life. But I, I was offended by it just because, I mean, unlike when he was talking about, say, Islam or Judaism, there was an innate tone of condescension Yeah. Uh, in, in those interactions. like Literally, the sentence here I'm looking at, it's, it says, uh, a, witch, a witch's or warlock's power comes from Satan, period. That is the sentence. And uh, my comment, because it's a Kindle, so I can comment on it, is literally just no. <laughs> and 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 then, uh, sorry, the last point that I wanted to bring up on this, and this is the thing that I think I disagree with strongly, the most strongly with him. And uh, it, 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 to put it into perspective, he he says here, any power that have come, any power that is that have comes from comes from the evil one, regardless of the intention. He's talking about witchcraft again regardless of their intention. And I couldn't disagree more. And funnily enough, he couldn't disagree more if he actually read his own book. Because his intention, every time he walks into an, ex- an exorcism, matters. If his intention was not to cast out that demon, that demon would not be cast out. Plain and simple, period, end of conversation, because that's how fucking magic works. Okay? In every lore, mythology, in every kind of magic. It doesn't matter. Your intention is everything. And he is saying that regardless of my intention of being good, that because my magic doesn't invoke the name of Jesus, Mary, or the good angels, in quotations, that I am, that my power comes from Satan, regardless of my intention. And to that, I give a giant middle finger because that is wrong. Well, and the, the, when I kind of go back to the idea of the condescension, uh, 
the one thing I noticed is that throughout the book, he talks about, you know, feeling the presence of God or Mary or the angels or the saints, and it coming as this intuitive understanding. Like, he feels the good in the room. He feels the presence of these holy entities. But when it comes to people, say, feeling positive, warm, loving emotions off of other entities, that is a lie and manipulation. Yeah. And the, really, it comes down to what's the difference? It, it, it is an intuitive certainty and an intuitive certainty. Just because it's not framed in his own world worldview, it's false. Yeah. And the, I, I think that, to me, was the most offensive thing is, I mean, much like any other book we've read, the thing that pisses me off most is when people are, are not keep, uh, keeping their mind open, when they're not holding their beliefs lightly. Because my, my fundamental belief about this stuff, the one thing I think I actually down to a core truly believe about the paranormal or supernatural is that we don't understand. And I, I think that we should be comfortable living in that mystery. We should be comfortable seeking. And maybe, yes, someday we'll get answers, but maybe not. And that's okay, too. Maybe the point is that for there to be an unsolvable mystery we're chasing. Um, and I, I think any time that there is someone out there saying this is the way it is and there is no other way, I feel like I'm being manipulated. Yeah. And that's the issue is that this book felt like a recruitment tool. Because there's many points where he took he went aside to uh, end a diary entry by with proclamation side here in church. God is good. And or, or thank God we have Jesus on our side. And these and a couple other points where he's directly advocating, you know, you should be praying. We need to fix the country with prayer. This felt very much like a pamphlet I'd pick up at the front of a Catholic church yep. trying to convince me to join it. Uh, and because I have issues with authority, that put me on the wrong foot. Uh, I, I do think um, there are a couple other things which obviously I, I, I found problematic in here. Uh, like you were saying, the complete disregard of other people's faith systems was a big one. Uh, I, I, there was one other point, and this is just something small, but one entry in particular that I, I, I breezed right past, and then I went back to and was like, this is actually kind of messed up when you look at it. So there was one situation where he was approached uh, by a, a very attractive woman who was dressed in, a, in a, what he described a very provocative way, who said that she uh, believed she was possessed by a demon, she had been seeing psychological help, and it hadn't been helping, and she wanted an exorcism. And he looked at her and came to the immediate snap conclusion based off an intuitive certainty that she was sent there to try to tempt him, uh, that she was sent there by Satan to try to tempt him away from the cloth. And he kind of used that as an introduction to talk about how many former priests left because they became sexually involved with someone in their church. Well, my thought there was, okay, but what if she was demon-possessed? What if your worldview is right and she was demon-possessed and you turned her away because she made you horny? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's fucked up. That's deeply fucked up. If someone comes to you for help, yeah, don't, your, your first thought shouldn't be, hmm, am I going to be able to control my dick in this situation? Nope, get the fuck out of here, Harlan. And, and he did something similar to that multiple times where he would look at different uh, cases and then just write them off because of XYZ reason that he just innately seemed to know. Yeah, I mean, well, he would, and that, that's the thing, is he, he seemed to pick and choose when it was a demonic possession and when it wasn't. And yes, he talks about doing discernment and sending him to psychological counseling, 
but it seemed like the initial discernment was he gets emails and some he discards and some he holds on to. It's like, based off what? Yeah. Also, it's funny that he's just like, yep, this bitch was sent here to tempt me. Um, well, I'm obviously too weak to deal with that. Throw her out on the street. It's like, buddy, maybe that was a test for you. Maybe that wasn't from Satan. Maybe that was from God. You ever think about that? <laughs> well, also, also, here, uh, it, let's say it was a temptation from Satan. Well, then wouldn't that mean that that woman is enthralled to Satan and needs the help of a priest? Yes, yeah. it would. Nope, get the fuck out. Uh, and, and also, I just have to throw in, uh, obviously, I am not cool with the uh, stealing another culture's uh, religious relic and then oh, yeah. slapping a cross on it and saying it's ours now. Uh, although it does introduce some hilarious ideas for when I start my own religion, I know some places where I'm going to get some sweet wooden crosses. <laughs> Can we paint them hot pink and sparkly? Uh, I, I was, I was going to use them as support beams. Oh. <laughs> my other suggestion was to turn them into bongs. That would be... Um, I feel like that's more trouble than it's worth. Oh, I feel okay. like that would be an intense... Uh, effort. It'd be easier to build a cross that is a bong than turn an existing one into a bong. I'm just, I'm just picturing. I'm trying to desperately hollow out this cross that we've stolen from a church, and I look up, and Mother Mary is standing in the doorway, just staring at me. It's just like, oh, oh, hey, hey, patron entity, and she's just like, my son died on that. <laughs> um. Can you, can you? Just stop, please. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I got I got so caught up in 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 owning Catholics that I that I forgot that you're a thing. Um, Whoops! And that's why I'm going to hell for at least a couple of weeks when I die. <laughs> just a brief snit. Um, so I'm so glad that Nick brought up the obelisk because you know every a lot of things in this book make me angry, but that's weirdly the thing I keep jerking awake at night about. Of like a little little part of me is like, and I know this is madness and I can't do anything about it, but a part of little part of me is like, I gotta fix that. A little part of me is just like staring across the sea and just being like, it would only take me 40 years if I carried it back to Egypt brick by brick, right? Like it would only <laughs> it would only take me literally the rest of my life. Uh, I mean, the rest of your life would be um probably 20 minutes after you arrive in the square because the Swiss guard will shoot you. To yes, death. they will. They will without hesitation. Um, But I, it feels like the perfect example of the thing that makes me angriest about this book is it, 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 or the specifically the theology presented in this book is that sense of entitlement, mm -hmm. that sense mm -hmm. of the rules of basic decency do not apply to us because we answer to an unearthly power of it's like, no, I do not care how right you think your religion is. I don't care how many souls you think you are saving. You do not get to walk into an African country and steal one of their sacred cultural artifacts because you thought it was pretty. Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate to say it, but I guarantee that is far from the only example. Oh, God, no. Absolutely. The Vatican is literally full of it. Yeah, it is a treasure chest of stolen objects. Uh-huh. They they basically they tr the Catholic Church treated the aftermath of the Holocaust as an estate sale. They looted 
empty Jewish towns for artifacts that have still not been returned. Yeah. Entire synagogues were 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 cleared out like a closing J.C. Penny, and it, it, it's it, it it's there's there's a chain of custody established. There's a bunch of important, significant, specific cultural shit that we know the Vatican has locked up in their basement, and they won't fucking give it back. Like, you don't need it. It's heresy. You just need this Bible. Then why the fuck do you have it, asshole? Because we got to make sure you don't. I'm taking the obelisk. We're saving <laughs> your soul. I'm taking the obelisk. From the sun god. Taking the obelisk. Sun god's a demon, by the way. The sun- you might not have known that. His name's Apollo, and he's very cute. Leave him alone. He's- nope. Demon. Jesus Christ. Mother of fuck. I- See, I'm sitting here using Christian-esque. <laughs> but that's the thing. That is the thing that I think is the biggest is the biggest ultimate flaw is the rules of basic decency do not apply to me because I answer to God, not to human society. And and once you start thinking like that, it's everything's fucked. We can't have a conversation at that point. Well, I mean, that that I mean, here's the thing. I think that there's actually a a good lesson in that uh, for everyone in that. Any, I mean, any faith system, once you adopt it, once you adopt a magical worldview, you always need to be careful to make sure that that worldview isn't putting you in conflict with the reality we all have to share. Your own internal spiritual reality, that's your choice. But but that doesn't, you don't get to force that upon the world uh, because we all have to make that choice. We all have to find our path. And uh, take, in my opinion, taking that from someone—that's the real sin—is taking the choice away. And once you, because once you do that, you have forever hampered that person's ability to grow. Yep. No. It, exactly. It's, and it just—I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I. Maybe it's because I was born in 1995, and so I, I grew up in. Oh my in, God, you were. Yeah. Oh, I feel ancient. Uh, and so I grew up in like the. American school system's brief but tangible push towards political correctness of it's just like like I got the stupid diversity videos constantly when I was growing up you know the the and apparently they did work because I just cannot fundamentally understand the idea of wanting the entire world to be exactly like you of I just I literally just remember this one cartoon they showed us in in I when I was like in first grade that was supposed to make us not racist or something. And it's just this one line from it that it's like, wouldn't crayons be boring if they were all the same color? And that's that's just what pops up into my head whenever I think of the idea of Christianity being this all-consuming wave that's supposed to swallow the entire planet of it's like, but then then where's all the rest of it? Why don't you want all the rest of it? Even if all the rest of it doesn't belong to you and doesn't do anything for you, how do you understand what your stuff is if you're not comparing and contrasting it to other people's stuff? What the fuck is red if we don't have blue and purple? Uh, and that mm-hmm. that's good. That's a good point. And, and I think you're right. Is it would be uh, intensely boring. But of course, that is also my issue with the concept of heaven. Or hell is that, yeah, I mean, sure, it might be paradise or I might be being tortured. But after a few thousand years, it's just boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't fathom eternity. And that just might be part of the issue of my meat brain, uh, being unable to handle that concept. But 
It just doesn't, again, it goes back to, it doesn't jive with me. It's not my vibe. And so, and it shouldn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we ready to move into About the Author? I think so. Are you ready? Yeah. All let's right. do it. All right. So, Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti was born in upstate New York on June 15th, 1951. Uh, he is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, graduating in 1973. He then served the Air Force for six years as an intelligence officer. He is the president of the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal and is a research associate professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington. As a side note, the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal is a Catholic nonprofit organization dedicated to praying with and providing deliverance for people in spiritual crisis. They also conduct educational workshops to train clergy and lady, oh, that's non-clergy members of the church, in deliverance prayers. In addition to being involved in hundreds of exorcisms, he also provides psychological therapy and is a licensed psychologist. In 1994, he earned a Ph.D. in psychology from Boston University. He has served as the chief exorcist for the Archdiocese of Washington for 13 years. He is also a priest of the Diocese of Syracuse. He is also a visiting professor at the Gregorian University in Rome. He maintains a popular blog on the spiritualdirection.com website, which also maintains a Catholic exorcism phone app, which contains a number of important prayers and exorcisms meant for priests and laymen alike. One of those is meant to remove demonic influence from your tattoos of gods that aren't Christian ones. Cool. <laughs> he has authored a number of other books, including The Joy of Priesthood in 2005, a book written for priests, inciting them to explore the dignity of their calling through honest and psychologically based self-assessment. Our Journey into Joy, Ten Steps to Priestly Holiness, is a book of ten fundamental building blocks meant to help fellow priests embody priestly holiness. Why Priests Are Happy, a study of psychology and spiritual health of priests, and The Priestly Blessing, Rediscovering the Gift, a book meant to inspire fellow priests to adopt the increasingly defunct practice of blessing people, objects, and events. He's also appeared on a number of well-known television programs, including Meet the Press and Larry King Live. And in a, what I think is a, a pretty cool thing he did, he was a member of the 1993 think tank organized by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops to curtail child abuse within the church, and has long been an activist working to prevent further abuses from occurring, including the publication of several studies of the psychological damages caused by such abuse. In this, he has consistently advocated for a victim-first policy, saying, quote, Our calling is to become the voice of millions of abused children. We must stand in the corner of those who are hurt and suffering. One day, victims of child sexual abuse will look upon us, not as their foe, but as their advocates and friends. That day is not fully here yet. And so we are not yet fully the church we are called to be. He is also the recipient of the Proclaim Award from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, as well as the Lifetime Service Award from the Theological College of the Catholic University of America. In 2010, he received the Touchstone Award from the National Federation of Priest Councils for his lifetime of work with priests. And in 2013, he received the Pope John Paul II Seminary Leadership Award from the National Catholic Educational Society, where he was also awarded a doctorate in divinity. And that's it. That's what I could find. Nice. All right. Well, are we ready to go into housekeeping then? Yes. Housekeeping. All right, housekeeping. Say it. Housekeeping. Good. So if you liked what you heard... 
Please like and subscribe on whatever plot podcasting platform it is that you're listening on. And if it's Spotify or Apple, please leave us a five-star review. Do it. Or whatever star you want, but preferably five. And if you want to reach out to us, you have any book recommendations, you want to yell and scream at us or, or give us fine compliments, you can do that. Noctivianpodcast at gmail.com or on social media. On Twitter, we have a show Twitter, at Pod. And I am at Mix Rory Wicks. I am at Bearish Terror. I'm at Midwest Undead. And then we have a plethora of other social media, like a Reddit account. Uh, Noctivigant Podcast. A Tumblr. Noctivigant Podcast. And an Instagram, Noctivigant underscore podcast. And I think that's it. That's all the socials we have currently, because I'm not giving these people my Spotify or either of my AO3s. I, I will find a way to leak your AO3. If you leak my AO3, I'm going to cleanse something besides the Catholic Church. You would have to make it out of post, and I wouldn't do that. I love you so much. <laughs> oh, don't uh, worry. I'll find a way. I'll find a way. You you say that, but we all know that's I not true. I have a Twitter. I can do it. You wouldn't do that to me. Yeah, not right now. Well, we'll see. In other news, what's up next? What's the next book? It's real magic by Dean Radin. Dear God, I wish you guys. I wish you guys could have seen the look on Nick's face. He went completely fucking like dial tone. Yeah. It's like when you take a kitten outside for the first time. Like yeah, un- we- unbelievable. <laughs> we are going to be reading Real Magic by Dean Radin, which is a uh, really it's an exploration of the idea of real magic as seen through the parapsychological lens. Uh, equating psi phenomenon with what we would traditionally call magic. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Me too. And I'm leading that episode. Dun, dun, dun. So, you know what that means? I don't even know what that means. So we're just going to blow right past that. Uh, But I think that's it. Any final thoughts? Nope, I'm tired. All right. Well, then lead us out of here, Jay. Good night, ghosties. Good night, ghoulies. Good night, moth people. Stay safe out there on those midnight roads, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe out there. Watch out for demons, apparently. <laughs> Look, if they're hitchhiking, you can give them a lift. I'm going to put that on your headstone. Look, 
again, as much as I as much as I have obvious issues with the Catholic Church and am not fully sold on Christianity in general, Mary of Nazareth is great. I love her very much, and it's very hilarious to me to picture this this dainty little Jewish woman who was about 14 when she had her first child just walking into a room and starting to just slap the shit out of a bunch of crying demons. Just still that beautific expression on her face, just like out, out, out with a broom or something. I just, I fucking love her. It, think about it. It's actually hilarious. 